Hello, everybody. You're listening to the Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 34, Soup Juice. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We have quite a fun show in store for you guys today, so we'll get right to it and not waste any time. But before we go into Master's Talk, I am actually seeing Edward Hewitt on screen here, which could mean that we have a big update in the Big Chill podcast world. Eddie? Um, I wouldn't call it a big update. (laughs) So I am currently connected to Wi-Fi. However, I am not con- I'm not connected to my Wi-Fi. <laughs> so today, um, my uh, mobile data expired. It actually expired mid-Monday night football. So that was a little bit of an issue. Um, I then paid more money for extra data on my phone. Does this mean then, Orange cut you off, basically, is what you're saying? Yeah, fundamentally because I'm no longer an internet customer. They weren't giving me the unlimited data on my phone anymore. So it was the kind of nightmare scenario I had envisaged. And so then, obviously, because I'm working from home, I actually did need the internet today. And so I went downstairs to our neighbor below, who I'd never, I've never met anyone who lives in my building before. However, Missy had met him because um, we he had had a leak and he had suspected that the leak might be coming from our apartment. As it turns out, it was not, but this is the only prior interaction we'd ever had with him. And, uh, he, so he, um, I knocked on the door. He refused to open the door at first. So I had a five minute conversation where he asked me who I was through a locked door. (laughs) And then eventually after he believed that I lived above him, he opened the door and I had to explain like, look, I, I don't have the internet at the moment and I'm working from home. Can I just have your login details for a couple of days until a technician comes? He seemed very skeptical. He fundamentally treated it as if I was trying to get his online banking details. Like he was so <laughs> suspicious. You do look like the type of person that's running a child pornography ring. So, yeah. I mean, it wasn't held by the fact that obviously I was wearing a mask and stuff at the time. So kind of made well, like a balaclava. Like a, yeah, it did make me look my, like slightly like a bank robber. And uh, eventually, after maybe 10 minutes of convincing, he decided to give me my login details. I went upstairs, typed them in, didn't work. Oh, it's <laughs> like, the worst. I went back it's down, had to ring his doorbell again, like, really sorry. I tried, it didn't work. He read them out to me again. I go back upstairs, type them in, didn't work again. <laughs> And then I had to go back down and be like, can you just look at what I wrote down and make sure this is right? And I had one. At this point, at this point, do you think, did you think he was just playing you and wasn't going to give you the real one? Was it the guy from Orange? Yeah, no, it did. It did cross my mind that. Little um, did he know who Eddie is, that Eddie (laughs) would not stop being persistent in asking. (laughs) So yeah, definitely the thought crossed my mind. I did. And I also got, I was like, if, if the third time it doesn't work, I'm going to have to go to the neighbor upstairs. Like, I was like, I can't go back to him four times. Three is the cutoff. So fortunately, it then worked, and that is what I'm currently using. Um, Who made the mistake? Him me. or you? No, me. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So, but it was an interesting one, because I guess it's kind of the modern equivalent of, like, asking your neighbor for, like, to borrow some sugar. <laughs> you know, like, thinking back. And, a little more expensive. 
It's not though, because it technically costs him nothing, right? Like now, I could use up all his bandwidth, but assuming I'm respectful of of my internet consumption and I don't suddenly, I don't suddenly like go back to 2005, download like, you know, like Kazam Friend, and start Friends Lime Seinfeld complete series exactly. <laughs> and then you got the audacity to go downstairs and say, "Do you mind getting off the internet because yeah, I'm exactly. downloading stuff?" Yeah. <laughs> but Do you fundamentally, mind your plan. <laughs> yeah, fundamentally, it's free, right? So it's nothing because this is the other thing. Several people I told this, they're like, "Well, that was really nice of him." I was like, "Was it?" It's obviously nice of him because he could have said no, but could you really say no? Like, if someone came I mean, to if, you, could you? If you take up his bandwidth, then I would be pissed. Like yeah. if if this were a situation and right now I was having issues doing this podcast, I'd be pissed at you for ruining this situation. Yeah. On. Yeah. And also I would say, was his password like the generic Wi-Fi one? Because if he had made it a password that he uses across multiple things, then I That's understand being like, look, like, I'm not going to give it to you. I'm not going to put it in because... You'll be able to log into everything I have. Now, sir, what's your Gmail and your account ID for your yeah. bank? <laughs> Social security number, please. Yeah. Account but number, no, sort he, code, and job title, please. Yeah. But no, it, it is seemingly the default Wi-Fi password. It's like DX2Y. So either he's a psycho with his passwords, and that's his universal password, or it's just the default one that he got issued. But no, that did cross my mind if it was going to turn out to be like Cheshire Cat 87. And then I was going to be like, uh oh, <laughs> like, this is going to be also would have been awkward if it had been like embarrassing. Now to throw did you in, just now, reveal your password right there? Yeah. I'm, if I use your Gmail now, am I, am I getting access? <laughs> yeah, everything. The 87 fits. Yeah. Yes, this is true. The other awkward thing about it too was I went around one in the afternoon and he was just in his pajamas. And the pajama bottoms fit quite snugly around a certain area of his body. So during the conversation, I was just having to just like not have my eyes drop directly onto his just dick and balls being cupped right in front of me. Oh, I thought you were going to say ankles. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Hopefully, thank God he hopefully didn't he say doesn't, ankles. <laughs> hopefully he doesn't listen to this because then he's going to really regret having, having given me the access to his internet. But do you think you could say no? I don't think I could legitimately say no to someone asking for that. No, I, I, I would say yes. But then if I noticed that my internet was severely slower than it had been, I would maybe go up and say something. Just be like, hey, can we cut it on the three accounts of Netflix at one time, please? Yeah, I think you can monitor. I would probably monitor the number of devices that got connected. And then part of my interest might be if a month from now I'm still using his Wi-Fi, then I might also say something. I guess he has the ability to change the password at any point. So if he yeah. did want you off, you would be off. I mean, which would put me in an interesting scenario, right? Like if his Wi-Fi just kicks me off, do I go down and ask him, like, <laughs> go, "Hey, can you unplug? Can you unplug and replug that back in? Because I'm I'm not getting a good connection upstairs right now." Knowing you, I already know the answer to that question of what's going to happen. <laughs> no, I would go upstairs. I would, I would do that first. I can imagine like kicking and screaming as well, being like almost like deadpan autistic at him. Like your internet's down. Could you please fix it? <laughs> Thank you for that description of me, Sam. Not you. Okay, I mean, uh, yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs>
But fortunately, my mobile data did last long enough for me to see the conclusion of the Masters without any any disruption. So I did get to see uh, Dustin Johnson's historic victory at Augusta. Yeah. First person to hit 20 under, right? Well, that's the thing is, I mean, we're, we're probably going to get onto DeChambeau, right? But part of part of why he looks like such a massive asshole is in the buildup to Augusta, to the, this year's Masters. He said that par for him was 67 around. This is what he declared. And as it turned out, Dustin Johnson shot an average of 67 around. So DeChambeau accurately predicted the winning score. So I guess he gets some credit for that. Uh, however, he was miles off what he thought was just par for him. Yeah, I think I think this tournament has made me realize that I don't like him um, because most of the time he's actually been this pretty was competitive. Yeah, because most of the time he's like been pretty competitive. He's been up there, but now he was facing a bad round. I really enjoyed seeing him have a bad round or like bad masters. Like the best one for me was, you, you know, he teed off with Bernard Langer. Like he was averaging, I think it's about 320, 330 off the tee, and Langer was averaging 250, and Langer still beat him. Well, Langer, Langer broke the record, right? He was the yeah. oldest player in history to make the cut at the Masters, 63 years old in two yeah. months or something like that. But and, that's and what I love about it. He up well as well. You know, like he didn't make the cut and then just fall off. He's played two more good rounds after that. Yeah, he finished 35th or something like yeah. that. Yeah. But that's what I like about it. Like for everything he's saying about DeChambeau's power and the science behind it, he did just get beaten by a 63-year-old man. <laughs> like, like that, I mean, it, we can't oh, even pass that, of... right? <laughs> and you I also... know that afterwards, Langer then beat the shit out of him in the bar as well. Because I can tell you one thing about DeChambeau. He's definitely not a drinker. You can drink <laughs> well, him under the table in three beers. The, the Langer, the Langer uh, comparison definitely is not a great look for DeChambeau. I also liked after he finished his round with John Rahm, which was when he lost his ball. Classic. When he, when he, when he got off, they asked John Rahm, uh, like, did you help DeChambeau look for his ball when he lost it? And uh, John Rahm's response was, which one? <laughs> 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 yeah, so for those who didn't see that, to me that was the highlight of the DeChambeau weekend. In you know, for him at least, was he hit a ball pretty badly into the left rough, but not like way off course. It was just in the rough, maybe what 15, 20 feet yeah. off the fairway. Very you know, like it was it was definitely in the rough, it wasn't close, but it wasn't as if he hooked it 50 yards to the left. And then they went to go look for it and they could not find it. And he then proceeded to have one of the most annoying conversations with the rules judge or whatever you call him official about every possible thing that could have happened that would like allow him to drop it. And, and some of them were so good because at one point he was like, well, I mean, look at here, there, there seems to be some water piled up. So how do we know that the ball didn't go into the water and that's why we can't see it? Isn't that like allowed for me to then get a drop because of the conditions or like blah, blah, blah or whatever? And the guy's like, yeah, that's true. Over there it is, but your ball's like 40 yards over there. So we don't, and over there, there's no water. There's no nothing. It's fine. He's like, well, how do you know? And he's like, we know because we saw the video where your ball kind of is. Like, there's no way your ball's over here. So what, what this grass looks like doesn't matter. And he's like, whoa, he just kept, it was just so great to see him complain and well, the, see he shot down. 
the super satisfying thing about it too, right, is the ball was clearly visible on TV while they couldn't find it. And they were well, only, it, they were I, only I like 15. I don't think you 15. actually saw, you could see where, where kind of it landed, but you never actually saw the ball above, did you? Yeah, yeah, you could see it. At one moment, you saw them oh, really? maybe 15 feet away from the ball, all looking in kind of one grouping. And the ball is literally, you can see the white dot of the ball oh, visible in the rough. I didn't notice that. Literally 15 feet from where six people are looking for him. That's awesome. And I mean, it's the interesting, it's it's a theory I've always had playing golf, which is if I just played in professional conditions, I'd probably shave like two or three shots off my round to be said. But like every time I lose a ball, I feel like it would be found if I had a gallery of people standing there who were then like, here it is. Like it, it nearly hit me. Here it is. Whereas professionals like always get to benefit and like, if it had been, if there had been fans in attendance, he would have found that ball because there would have been people standing there and they would have been like, this is the, this is, here's your tee shot. But because then suddenly no one's there, it's a struggle to find it in a way in the time limit that it never would have been before. And then he completely, I mean, the, the story about right is it nearly made him miss the cut because he then obviously had to take the drop in the penalty stroke. He ended up just making the cut, but it also just moved him out of contention because he then imploded. And well, the, bogeyed the next the great, two holes. Yeah, the great thing about it afterwards was then because they couldn't find it, he has to re-hit his tee shot. And then when he re-hits his tee shot, he hits basically the exact same drive. And it was really good because he hits it and he sees it going left. He's like, same damn spot. You like hear him say it because there's no crowd. <laughs> at that point, if I were John Rom, I just would have like slow clapped right there. It would have been so classic. I also he was liked, so pissed. Same damn I, spot. <laughs> I also liked that um, someone came up to him on the next tee and said, hey, by the way, we found your ball and gave him the ball back. <laughs> and, and like, Wouldn't like this have been better later on if you had found it? Yeah, I like the idea that that person, either they were just being super genuine and thought like he probably wants his ball back. Like he's, who knows, like maybe he's going to run out of balls or they were just trolling him hard and be like, hey, by the way, like oh, 15 seconds after time expired, we found this one. Yeah, like, t- turns out I stepped on it. Yeah. <laughs> it was under my foot the whole time. And he yeah. even said, he even said when he was interviewed afterward, he was like, wasn't great for my mindset to be told while I was waiting on the next tee that they just found my ball. Well, I guess going from that disaster to possibly one of the worst professional disasters of a whole I've ever seen in Tiger Woods 10 on a par three. Yeah, worst, the, worst, worst hole in his career, right? First time he's ever had a 10. Yeah, and I think it was the first double-digit score on the professional tour this year. There was like a lot of crazy stats about how rare this was and for it to be on a par three i think is even more impressive at that point because you know maybe a par five you do what deschambeau does you hook two you know you hook two balls out of bounds the next thing you know you're you're laying what five with still like two to get to the green but this was a very close par three as well i mean they were hitting just the fact that he wedges just the fact that he found the water three times on a par three is amazing yeah, just the fact that he found the water three times on a par three was in and of itself amazing. I'll also say he revealed, having already spoken about the one thing about golf, when I look at professionals and they get the help of the crowd finding it, he did that other thing that I never totally understand, which is he was super unsure, like his issue, right? He was unsure of the wind with his initial tee shot and he was debating it with his caddy. Like, 
because he said the wind had changed from when the previous two guys had teed off and he was not sure which way he was going. He did this thing that all golfers do, which is toss a, toss a couple blades of grass five feet off the ground as if that's going to give you a great indication of what the wind conditions are when you're about to hit the ball, you know, like 50 to 150 feet in the air. Then the other thing is he, he does it by tossing it very hard in one direction. So unless the wind, unless they were like gale force winds, you've thrown the grass hard to your right. The grass is probably going to go to your right. And then he's like, well, the wind's blowing to my right. Let me hit this. Then it's like, no, you just, I've never understood the grass toss as being some real Like you've got trees around you. Just look up at the trees blowing. That's a much better indication of what the wind is doing than tossing your, tossing your grass at eye level and seeing which way it blows. Well, here's what I don't get, because then looking at his quote, he even says, the wind was off the right for the first two guys. And then when I set up there, it switched to howling off the left. And the flag on 11 was howling off the left. I didn't commit to the wind. And also I got ahead and pushed it too because I thought the wind would come more off the right and it was off the left. And that Sounds just started like, the problem from there. But he knew, like, how, yeah. how much more do you need to know it's going to the left? It's almost like you've, uh, it's almost like he's beating himself with his own suspicion. Like, you know, in a penalty shootout, if you, in football, where you say like, I'm going to shoot left. And then when it actually gets to that point, you somehow doubt yourself and you're like, oh, because I've said left. I'll go right now and then you mess up. It sounds like he's just done exactly that. He's basically just conned himself. Well, next time I watch a penalty shootout, I want to see the taker walk up and test the wind conditions. <laughs> <laughs> well, like kind of like a gladiator style where they pick up some dirt. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 yeah it's, it's, it's a thing of respect, yeah. Yes. Yeah, he did seem to have a smile on his face once he had finally put it in. The reason why he's probably happy is when he hit that bunker shot the squat position that he gets into for that is definitely a position that Tiger Woods has put himself into with many women in his past. Like that was a full on. (laughs) (laughs) Go and take a look at it. It could make a little sense because he said that's when his back started to flare up again was after that shot. He definitely felt sore. So maybe that was, you know, how his back ended up in such a shitty position of what, six, eight years ago. Yeah, and plus I saw that as he was then walking to the next tee, he just tossed his cell phone in the water as well. <laughs> just like PTSD from the experience. I will say that bunker shot, every amateur watching that shot was like, yep, been there, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> I've done that before. I find that actually is the nicest thing about when you watch a golf major, is that even though these guys are obviously so much better than even the best golfer you've ever played with, They do, you can guarantee that one or two of them per round have this really humanizing moment when they do something that everyone would be like, that would be bad even for me. Tiger Woods had that on that hole. Morikawa also had a really bad one where he was on a slope and he just hit the ball straight in the air and then into the water behind him. And there's just those moments where you just go, ah, it makes me feel so much better about my golf game. Like I like being inspired by them doing things I could never do, but I also like seeing them do things where I'm like, yeah, that would be a rough day even for me. Yeah, Langer had one too, I think in the first or second round where he was, I don't know, 10 feet off the green and he went to kind of give a little loft shot and drop it in close and literally lofted it one yard further and then it rolled back to exactly where it was. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's a 63-year-old man. You've got to give him a little break there. <laughs> like, he probably just forgot what he was doing. 
Oh, you had the Tom Brady moment. The only disappointing thing I think from the weekend was Dustin Johnson won so convincingly, it kind of took the fun out of it. You know, the first two rounds, I remember after the end of the second round, I texted my dad and I said, hey, we're going to be in for a real good Masters. I mean, there's yeah. 15 people within two, three strokes. And these aren't just shitty people that you know are going to fall off. I mean, you had some really, really good names up there. You know, a lot of the top players in the world. Then you had Mickelson, Woods. You, you had almost everyone up there. And then, you know, the third round, he just kind of took over. And then going into the fourth, it was it was kind of that, is he going to give it up for a little bit? You know, and that's yeah. kind of fun. But it's not as fun when you have seven, eight guys all right there where one hole could really just switch it up, you know, two, three strokes for a couple yeah. of guys. I think, um, what was it, like a couple of holes into round three, there was nine players tied at the top. And that's great. And like you say, they're all actually pretty good people, pretty decent. You could have most said that most of them were having a shot. But what was a shame was that that DJ moment at the start of his final round where he had a wobbly on the first couple of holes, you were like, okay, I can kind of see something here. This is going to set it all up. But I mean, fair enough. It wasn't It wasn't just the, the driving game he had. Like he had such a good approach play in, um, uh, it was just every hole was actually just great to watch it was just great to watch how well he was approaching every green yeah he was near on fullest so i do i do agree with you at the start of round three you thought wow we're going to go down to like four or five of the world's best golfers shooting this out for the masters and then it kind of turned into a little bit of uh just parade but what I will say is, A, he, I mean, he, it was a record breaking score, right? And he helped by the conditions because obviously the playing now, the greens and everything was softer. It made the approach shots into the, into the greens that little bit easier. That being said, I also think he was kind of helped. They had the toughest green conditions, uh, pin conditions on for the fourth round. And also they were kind of the toughest weather conditions and that was a little bit windier and windier than it had been for the first three. And so whereas in the first three rounds, you had super low scoring, in the final round, it was more people kind of around par or just under par. I mean, even Dustin Johnson's scoring kind of dipped a little bit, especially he got a few birdies right at the end when kind of the pressure had almost been taken off of him, off of him and it was clear he was going to win. But for a long time, he was kind of just right around par. I think that kind of helped him too, in the sense that he wasn't facing this situation where suddenly was someone was coming from kind of off the pace and shooting nine under earlier on. And then he was thinking, okay, technically I have a huge advantage because I'm on the second hole, but I am now actually one shot behind some guy who's like just going into the clubhouse. He's the first world number one to win the Masters since 2002 when Tiger Woods did it. So that's kind of crazy. Obviously record-breaking score in the, in the 20 under par. I think one other golfer of note to just throw in there, we've discussed it every time we preview a major event and every time we kind of do the post-major event discussion, Rory McIlroy, just the king of one awful round, putting himself out of contention, then three good to decent, like decent to good rounds, and somehow finishing top 10, top five. Yeah, he's pretty bad, actually. It, it's it's pretty frustrating. I think um, he played with Langer as well, McIlroy. Maybe maybe there's some sort of like Langer curse going on here, but there was a good stat I read about the Masters as well. Is that no um, uh, no rookie has basically won it like no first starter since like 1979, and it's starting. I'm starting to 
come across this kind of feeling that Augusta is just for experienced players. Like they just seem to do really well with it. They just, it's the people that play consistently that win it. I thought that was an interesting one because by the end of it, it was all the the regular players. It was all the people that you would expect to be up there, basically, that were. Sort of. I mean, Cameron Smith was the only guy apart from Dustin Johnson who really had a chance on the final day. And I think that was part of the reason that kind of took a little bit of the excitement away. And this is with the utmost respect to Cameron Smith, but even when he was two shots behind Dustin Johnson for a while, in the back of my mind, I was like, I don't think Cameron Smith is going to win the Masters. So, like, this is either going to take an, require an implosion from Dustin Johnson that brings, like, Justin Thomas into the running, or Cameron Smith is just going to do what, in the end, he ended up doing, which was dropping a couple shots, and then suddenly Dustin Johnson is five shots clear with four shots to play. Yeah. Four, four holes, even. <laughs> what I thought was pretty crazy is how much do you think Cameron Smith's made in his career. So, all right, so let me preface this by saying he tied for second, so he makes about a million dollars from that. How much do you think he's made in his career? I mean, I feel like I see him in decent positions in a lot of tournaments, like a lot of, not majors, but PGA events. So my guess is he's made... I don't know, $5 million so far in his career. 11 million. Really? It's pretty surprising, right? I When I saw that he made the million, I thought, oh, this has got to be, you know, close to what he's made in, you know, the past few years. But it's pretty impressive. 11 million is a decent amount for a guy who has won, I think, what, two times? I just think it's one of those things. There's just so such a crazy level of money in golf now. That basically anyone anyone playing in the Masters fundamentally, like apart from obviously the amateurs, any of the other guys, you can guarantee that they've already made, you know, not ridiculous sums of money, but fundamentally ridiculous sums of money to be, by professional standards, fairly mediocre golfers. Where's that money come from? Like, actually, just out of interest, like, where's that money come from? Because golf doesn't like along along like the the fairways and stuff like that golf doesn't plaster advertising left right and center you know it doesn't feel like it's the most you don't see brands left right and center in golf right you don't see them like spanning the fairway or like in cricket when you see like the name of something in the grass you don't really see that in golf so it's kind of interesting that golf has a ton of money it's they're probably just money laundering (laughs) just for tiger woods i mean there's two things right one is the I mean, you get it with the naming of the tournament, right? Like you, everyone will know that the name they'll go and play in like the BMW, you know, open like that's four days of pretty great branding for them. The second thing is I just I'm sure the TV money is pretty good because it's a ton of content you get as a broadcaster. Like, you know, if you're NBC or whatever and you've got the masters for four days of just that's you're done like you don't need to you don't need anything else going on for those four days yes has the masters Eddie. See, come on. whatever let's get with it come on <laughs> sorry i don't live in the u.s we're get sports with- podcast you don't know that cbs has the masters god no no i don't i actually not good with knowing where i i guess i should know it because you do actually sometimes even abroad you still see the cbs logo sometimes because it's still like the american feed that's being like with different commentary teams um, cause actually sky, which is the one that covers it here kind of bitches about the American, 
uh, feed. They feel like the European events get way better coverage because in America they cut to commercial breaks way too often. And they also just focus on big players, which I, I sometimes find yeah. annoying. Like you, oh you'll, be the, you'll be the final day and you're like, now we got to see Justin Thomas's approach shot. It's like Justin Thomas is 27 shots off the lead. We don't no, need no. to see this. It's Jordan Spieth. Why yeah. I still have to watch Jordan Spieth take any shot in the final round when he's 17 shots back. I don't care. I don't care. That, that is one of the biggest falls from grace. I mean, Rory McIlroy's had a fairly substantial one in that he's gone from the discussion of being on course to, you know, like challenge Tiger and Jack Nicholas for breaking the, uh, you know, major wins and all that. And that's obviously not going to happen. Hmm. Justin speaking has gone from, a dominating golfer to a guy who just struggles to make cuts now. It's pretty crazy. It's pretty spectacularly fast as well. Like yeah. It was only <laughs> two years ago, right? I mean, he won the Open three years ago, I think. I think it was three. I mean, it's, yeah, yeah it's, it's in no time at all going from top of the world to maybe not even playing in those events. Yeah, he's gone from doing the Titanic on the front of the dock on the front of the boat to on the front of the, the dock level of, of, of the Titanic. <laughs> well, it's a good thing you didn't get on the Titanic then if he did it at the dock. Oh, he uh, definitely got on the Titanic. <laughs> Frank Frank didn't make it onto the Titanic. He uh, unfortunately he just he had too much fun on the front of the dock with a few guys, so he he missed the missed the boat. I almost pulled the Leo. I was playing cards too long and almost missed the Oh cards. The okay. That's what you do on the front of the dock with, with random men. Sitting by the dock, playing some cards. With random shipwrights. <laughs> so, given that Dustin Johnson has won, next year he will get to pick his own menu for the Tuesday Champions Dinner. And we discussed last week that we would give what our meal would be. And then Eddie actually went and got some uh, feedback from some random people so we can also critique their meals or dinners so who wants to start off with what there let's do ours first and then we can well, shit on I, I can actually <laughs> i can do breaking news actually because i know what yeah in part of the research i actually got in touch with dustin thomas dustin thomas the mix of them they're hosting <laughs> it together with uh, dustin johnson last night and he told me he already knows what his meal is going to be next year and he's got it planned out it's just going to be a porterhouse and then several lines of cocaine for everyone <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't get it. He's 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 had some coke issues in the past. Okay. What do you what do you mean? Don't get it. Like what else could that? I don't get the to? reference. I don't get the reference. Like I didn't know that. That's what I'm saying. I I understood that that's probably what that meant, but I didn't know if there was a backstory to it. I mean, there was a big suspicion right once he missed. I think it was the Masters he missed when he hurt his back slipping down the stairs or whatever. And already from that, there was suspicions that he was maybe not in the best state of mind when he uh, injured himself. Yeah. I do love that his brother is the caddy and supposedly people on the tour say they're, I think the quote on ESPN said they're like dumb and dumber. That's what other people on the tour call them because they're just very aloof and, and have almost no idea what's going on. <laughs> uh, it's like, remember I, we spoke about before, I watched that video where he was trying to explain how he hits the ball and he's literally just like, I hit it. I, just I respect that more though that he's that good and he's not that technical 
Yeah, I guess. I mean, I think he is super technical. It's that he doesn't have the intelligence to explain the technicality because obviously his, his swing is highly technical and, you know, his short game is significantly improved over the course of his career. I mean, it's part of the reason why he's now not dominating the world of golf, but you look at his year he's had so far, like it's pretty impressive. I would say he's dominating. And part of it's been adding that short game that he didn't have before. I mean, I mean, this year's this year's a bit of a freak year, right? No crowds, everything's changed. Augusta played differently to what it would, but you got to pretty much say he's dominating at the moment. Like what last five? Well, he's won the last three tournaments, placed top five in the the other two in the last five. I mean, yeah, okay, that's that's not every major, but every other major he's been up there as well. But um, I mean, Masters at Christmas. I mean, there's a reason his beard's white, and it's. Just, <laughs> <laughs> so porterhouse and coke aside um and and he's definitely serving body armor did you see that i guess he's sponsored by body armor and his his tweet was tastes even better with the green jacket on appreciate the support and hydration but team body armor <laughs> i think that's the saddest thing i know that they'll be contractually required to do it but when they do have to do the plug in like the best moment of their career the lowest of the low right is the peyton manning having uh a having uh the papa john's guy on the field and b then doing the like yeah and then b doing the like budweiser plug immediately after and peyton manning kind of gets away with it because he's like charming and and funny so he kind of spins it off well (laughs) but the idea of like i've been working my whole life to win the masters here I am. This is the moment I've dreamt of as a boy. This is, re- this is the reason why I like woke up at 5 a.m. every day, missed sort of major events in other people's lives in my life. And now, like, as I'm overcome by emotion, I have to say, and thank you so much to Wrigley's Chewing Gum. You know, like, if I hadn't kept my jaw active, there's no way I would have sunk those putts. He didn't need to Wrigley's Gum for that. No, that's true. He was just grinding <laughs> away. <laughs> All right. I want to here, some of the um, listeners. You want to do? No, let's do ours first. Uh, okay. All right. Fine. Because I don't want you to hear one and be like, "Oh, I kind of like that one now." Trust me, you're not going to do that. <laughs> I'm just going to throw it out there. You're not going to hear one of these suggestions and think they were a great idea. But by so, all means, Frank, get us underway. Then you tell us what your meal would be. All right. I put a lot of thought into this, so I decided if I were to win. I would like it to focus on the three areas of my adult life that I've been to the most. So France, Canada, and Southern Arizona slash Mexico, little Mexico. Now the question becomes, if I were doing an appetizer, an entree, and a dessert, which like region do I choose for each? The issue really becomes Canada doesn't have much of its own cuisine. It does to it to an extent, but the only super Canadian thing I could think of would be poutine. So that's obviously going to have to be my appetizer. So my appetizer is either traditional poutine. Wait, wait your oh appetizer is poutine. One Gravy, of the heaviest cheese, meals. and stuff. So, so let me also say. My choices are strategic in the sense that I think I can gain an advantage off my players because after they eat this meal, they will not be the same for at least three to four days because poutine is just the beginning. 
So you can do traditional poutine or you could do added pulled pork on the poutine. Now in Canada, they get really feisty over adding meat on the poutine, but I think a little meat, who gives a shit? It tastes better, just like nachos. So that would be my appetizer, poutine. Next. I love how, sorry, I love how for your, you were like, okay, I want to, you know, look at regions that I've been close to throughout my life, but then I'm going to shit on the custom anyway. <laughs> Just add loads of pork. Oh no, poutine is great. I love poutine. If it were healthy, I'd eat it every day. But and I'd also not including, not including the region you actually grew up in either. <laughs> That's the interesting part. Yeah. I don't care about New Jersey right now. <laughs> so the next one is, what do I do for the entree and the dessert? Mexico and this, the like Southern Arizona, I'm not a big fan of the desserts. Basically you have churros or tres leche cake. I don't really like tres leche. So I'm gonna go with Mexican food for the entree. This is where I gain my true advantage because <laughs> I'm doing a three-way taco meal. You get to choose from tacos al pastor, pork carnitas, or I'll throw a bone to Phil Mickelson because he loves his whole like California lifestyle and we'll do like a fish taco. So those are the three tacos you get to choose from. The good one is the Al Pastor. I don't know if you guys know, it's like on the spit, kind of how the, the shawarma is, the lamb shawarma and the really good one. So it's like piled pork and then on the top is pineapple and it's all roasted on the, on the spit. The really good people, they shave it off and then they like shave off the pineapple and like flick it into the taco and catch it with the taco. So not only do we have to have this, we have to have a person who has that capability. So I have to pick them up in Mexico City and fly a whole company out for three or four people that can properly do it and flick the pineapple into the taco. That's a requirement. The carnitas have to be traditional carnitas where they have to be boiled in these massive copper pots. I don't expect anything less. And then the fish one, that can be whatever. That's just for Phil Mickelson, so he doesn't shut up. So now after eating poutine and really greasy tacos, we then go into France for the dessert and it's just gonna be a medley of French desserts. So any French dessert you can think of is gonna be on this like tower of desserts. So you got like creme brulee, macaroons, madeleines, eclairs, tarts, that, that one that has like the, What's like the flaky stuff with the cream in the middle, like the layered one? That was that one called, Eddie? Um, like a meal, like meal Yeah, meal foie, yeah. That's gonna be in there. It's just gonna be so much sugar. And after this meal, they're gonna have so much fat and so much sugar that they're gonna be out for at least till Saturday. No one might make the cut. There might be no one no. making the cut. You know you've got to eat it as well. Yeah, that would that does. I don't have to. I can, but not only do I not have to, I can bypass no, it. I'm going to change the rules here. Eat. I'm going to change the rules here. You have to eat it as well. Otherwise, I would just be like, "Well, my meal is just my own <laughs> fucking diarrhea. I'm going to serve that up to people, and then I'm not going to eat it." But they have to. And wow, they're all out. All right, I'll eat it. I have I have the advantage that I'm eating tacos two three times a week. Not only do you have so. to eat it, you have to consume the most. Like your portion has to yeah. be the biggest. You're I mean, like I the king of the feast. Almost any scenario, I consume the most. Wherever. Okay, but each of those, each course, you're getting like ten yeah, percent more than anyone else. That's fine. Even Deschambeau. 
Yes. Well, he won't be there because he never won. Ah, he it. might. He <laughs> might even. <laughs> no, but you've invited him as a special guest just to try and call him out in some sort of. Who knows? Maybe like, he's really challenge. good at. Maybe he's really good at flicking pineapple, and you can have him. You can have him be one of the cooks. <laughs> Great. That sounds like so such that, a weird euphemism. <laughs> that is my master's dinner. <laughs> All right, Sam. Do you have yours uh, queued up? I do, but I just, I mean, Frank, that was a ton of thought into yours. Yeah, you're going to go as in-depth as Frank? Oh, I don't, and it, it needs <laughs> no. to be cooked at exactly 112 degrees. <laughs> and then I'm going to eat absolutely if it, none of it. If it's raining that day, we don't serve it. <laughs> I mean, I just went for something British, but something I truly, really, really like as well. So, a starter... It's, it's kind of a well-known appetizer, even though it's a little bit of an odd one. Bubble and squeak. All right. Have you ever had know. bubble and squeak? Basically, it's like a like a leftover kind of potato cake. Great <laughs> <Sorry>. start. <laughs> so the idea is that... on winning the Masters. Eat some leftovers. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hell of a start, right? But that's that would be the problem. Like, would I have to cook stuff the day before to then use it for the starter on the next day, like in the ultimate sign of food wastage. Like I would just cook off a ton of food to make a starter for the next day. But yeah, bubble and squeak is, it's basically just a potato cake with like loads of leftover like vegetables and trimmings. And it's, it almost turns out a bit like a frittata. Yeah, I'm looking at it now. It looks pretty good. It's, it's pretty good. It can be fairly you know, I know there's potato in it, but it can be fairly light. It doesn't have to be the heaviest thing in the world. So that's my British starter. I'm who was it? Danny Willett that had like a roast dinner, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm go- have, Frank. Have you ever heard of a beef Wellington? Yes. I'm going for a beef Wellington main. I mean, that is the nicest main there is because it is. Just- just for anyone that doesn't know, it is just a massive slab of, well, really good steak. The idea is sirloin. And then you use like chestnut mushrooms or like a mushroom, like almost like pate around it. Um, then you layer it in like a little bit. Uh, I can't remember what it is. Some people even put like a crepe around it to make sure that the, the moisture stays in. Um, and then you have it in puff pastry and it's, unbelievably good and you basically just bake that for hours and hours i didn't and hours. know i didn't know we'd evolved into a cooking show i know <laughs> like i could I, do this uh, the cooking show i could do beef yeah. wellington audio just... cooking show would be the best thing ever <laughs> and then and then your finished product should look just like this. <laughs> yeah then do this and do this now and then flip this without giving it any sort of visual aid this is um, really important make sure it looks just like this before you put it in the oven yeah <laughs> don't forget to flick that pineapple so the beef wellington <laughs> is that all you can eat beef wellington can you get like another slice if you want yeah there there will be ample amounts of beef wellington i wouldn't even have potato with this one i've had potato for the starter which is strange in itself but I would just have like roasted vegetables, like seasoned, like parsnips, things like that. Just a medley, as it were. Pudding? Medley is a key word in this dinner. I hope any medley, a medley is of something. A cornucopia, <laughs> a plethora, just anything. Cornucopia. <laughs> How fitting for Thanksgiving. 
All right, pudding or dessert? Spotted dick. <laughs> Is that purely for the, the name value? No, it's actually a pretty good. Um, have you ever heard it, Eddie, or even heard of it, Frank? Or like, so basically, have, it's yeah. it's like a flowered. It's just a sponge with like raisins, like currants in, but it can be made with like suet as well. Um, in it, is it kind it's, of like a, red a pretty kind of thing? It's it's not far off in terms of like it, it's kind of a Victorian. It's a really old recipe, but um it's pretty good it's pretty good with custard so that is what the americans will have from me they're gonna have bubble and squeak of beef wellington and um shit i can't spotted remember dick. yeah spotted dick i just had like a mental overload then how good the food is but yeah so everyone has got to have it and i've got to have more is the point here okay i could do that that's no problem now, I have a question for you, though. If, if you were going to do, are you choosing Beef Wellington because it's the fanciest of your options? Or would <laughs> it be the genuine, your favorite, if you had to choose like a last British meal? Yeah, it, it's really good. But obviously, it comes at a massive expense because this is a yeah. massive slab of meat that you're using. So honestly, if I can get Beef Wellington anywhere, I'd take it. I would definitely eat that meal. All right. I'm maybe going to be a little bit simpler in some respects. So my starter is going to be foie gras, but I'm going to do it three ways. Like, you know, so you've got an option. So a medley, a medley of foie gras. Kind of a medley. Yeah. Yeah. You just like, so that, that will be my only medley option. I'll follow that up. Kind of copying. Wait, wait, what are the ways you would do it? So just the standard, obviously foie gras preparation. The one where they cook the piece of like the the actual foie gras, like the liver itself, and they've cooked it in a pan. The third way I haven't determined. I'd have to is, think more. Let's call it two ways. We'll just go two ways. We'll just go those two options. No longer is, medley. And just to just to ask, are you going to go through the full process live in the kitchen? You know where you fatten this duck up. I'm going to use Deschambault's liver. <laughs> I think by by next year that that will be plump and perfect. <laughs> it's basically what he's doing. Yeah. He's just force feeding himself high caloric shakes. <laughs> it will be like it'll be like my Hannibal Lecter moment, and I'll go around. I'll be like, "Tiger, are you enjoying your foie gras?" And he'll be like, "Yes." And I'll be like, "It might make you hit the ball a little further, you know." <laughs> they called him the scientist for a reason. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Such a shame that Bryson couldn't be here today. You are inches <laughs> away from going into like your Bane voice there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a huge amount of overlap in the Bane voice. And, the and then my follow-up. I'm going I'm to... <laughs> yeah, it's not far off, right? Just a slightly different mask. But uh, <laughs> I'll then go... I'm going to kind of... I'm going to say copy Danny Willett, but I'm going to go for a roast lamb Yorkshire pudding roast potatoes roast turnips all the usual accoutrement that go along with some roast lamb some nice red currant jelly mint, mint sauce depending on your uh, preferences so that's what I'll I'll go for there and then my dessert will be 
Pavlova. Oh, it's a it's a meringue. It's a light meringue you served with ice cream and fruits, usually strawberries, raspberries, that kind of thing. Oh, I can't stand meringue. It's the it's how what it, what happens in your mouth with it that I just can't stand. It just there should be That's a crunch, surprising. but then it just melts. Oh, it's surprising, no, Sam, because no. the things that exactly. the things that happen in your mouth have never stopped you before. <laughs> well, except when there's a crunch. <laughs> I can't stand it. I hate meringue. Well, good thing you won't be there. So <laughs> it has a crisp crust and a soft light inside. It's a very light meringue, sort yeah. of a meringue but with a kind of creamier interior, basically. Could you eat a whole pavlova already? Why? Well, it's not a specific size, right? So okay, <laughs> no, I don't mean like a mini yes. Okay, I'm talking like a generically sized pavlova. Could you eat a whole one? No. Definitely not in one sitting. I'm not that much of a dessert person, though, in general, right? Like, so if I was ever going eating contests, I would, a dessert would never be something I would want to compete in. Like, that's just not my thing. Savory, I think there's a few savory items I could maybe hold my own a little bit in a in an eating contest. Not in the disgusting like Nathan's hot dog approach of like dipping stuff. Like, I couldn't go to that extent. But in just terms of like eating normally and eating quite a lot, some savory items I could I could hold my own, but sweet stuff, no. So now that we have ours out there, I'll throw a few that listeners sent us, some highlights from what we got. Some are pretty simple. Um, one suggestion, pork chops and applesauce. As, as for like all three? As yeah, I a can... lot of people just... Some people I would say that's full, their main. Yeah, some people just kind of went... Just mains. So one person just said corn dogs, and I asked them there for all three, three courses, and they said ketchup and mustard for the non-purists. <laughs> so I'm imagining like corn dogs changing with the like. So for like yeah. the dessert, you get like a chocolate dipping sauce. You get like <laughs> a like a well corn dog that's been stuck in like a blender, just a liquid corn dog. <laughs> It's a medley of corn dogs. Exactly, yes. That they've no, they've turned that into a straw. So it's just a wooden oh. straw that you know, like really so so it's a deconstructed corn exactly, dog. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Okay, he's on to oat something. Cu- oat cuisine corn dog. Some other some other suggestions. Well, you know what? For the corn dog one, if you put a little more thought into it, you could do a spin-off like a state fair. Which actually for Dustin Johnson might not be bad because isn't he from Texas? I think so, yeah. He could do like a state fair one where like your dessert could be fried Oreos and fried Twinkies. Your main could be corn dogs and other fried foods at the fair. Or and like I don't know what you make for an appetizer, maybe just like French fries. <laughs> but you could do a state fair spin-off and add the corn dog in there. Yeah, I mean a lot of the suggestions we got would kind of almost one someone suggested uh, meatloaf and tater tots. Some of the suggestion, <laughs> as, as in as in as in tater tots and meatloaf singing at the dinner. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the suggestions fairly basic. Someone else suggested five alarm chili, a black bean burrito, and the Seven Eleven hot dogs on the little rotator. I'd oh, he definitely cor- went with mine. With my, I'd idea. be in the corner. I'd be in the corner eating peanut butter and jelly. Jelly. Good luck tomorrow. <laughs> Why in the yeah. corner? 
Do we <laughs> observe? Do we need to check in on this guy? <laughs> then other suggestions. Someone said uh, Wagyu beef, wild rice, asparagus, and rolls. Another okay, suggestion. Not a bad one. Well, like Swiss rolls or <laughs> yeah. Along the lines, actually, of Frank's suggestion, Texas barbecue brisket and pulled pork with tater salad, pinto beans, fried okra, and baked potatoes, hand-churned vanilla ice cream, and chocolate brownies. Oh, and lots of Dr. Pepper. <laughs> I love I the like end. that all the way up to the Dr. Pepper. Yeah. I don't, need, I don't need the extra sugar and calories of the Dr. Pepper. Dr. Pepper's gross. You may as well just stick like a car battery in your mouth. I do like the idea, though, of the, the barbecue. I mean, I, I have been smoking a lot recently, so I can I have an appreciation for the smoke brisket. You should stop. Smoking, smoking kills, Frank. You got to yeah. kick that habit. <laughs> Stick to your meats. And then White Castle and Natty Light for all. Dessert would be a P, PB&J sandwich on a hot dog bun. Oh, my dad loves White Castle. It's one of the funniest things. He loves White Castle. So White Castle, right, is a... So is it like a a nationwide chain or is it like a specific area? And the fact that it isn't nationwide is what adds to the mystique. If it had been nationwide, it wouldn't have nearly the level of attachment that people have for it. Because it's either people who've never had it and just heard of it. And so they think of this like mythical burger or it's people who grew up in an area with it and then have moved away and then are like White Castle is the best burger in America. Yeah, so it's because they do the like li- the little burgers too. Like yeah. that's what they got going for them. Yeah, they do little burgers and they steam them. So they're they're very different than if if you went to like a McDonald's or a Burger King or Wendy's. They taste really different, but they're little burgers and you can get like a a case of them or a triple case or something like that. It's kind of like Sonic is another one of those that's very regional and people love to make the pilgrimage to Sonic. And then we had a Sonic open up by us. And for the first two months, it was jammed packed. And then after two years, it went bankrupt. And it's no longer there anymore. But the White Castle, yeah. I remember one time my dad, my dad was, we came back from Atlantic City. And he really, really wanted White Castle. So we went to the one on the way home. And it was closed. So we, he made the decision that instead of just continuing to go home, we went 30 minutes out of our way at one in the morning to get White Castle and another 30 minutes to come back. He got enough for at least eight people. It was about 50 burgers, 30 chicken sandwiches, 10 orders of fries. And we woke up in the morning and I think he ate four burgers. <laughs> and I had like three and a couple chicken sandwiches. There was enough left. You could, have, you could have invited a family of six over and they still wouldn't have been able to finish it. <laughs> That was a good one. And then the final few suggestions. One person, breakfast for dinner. That's all I said. Uh, I love that. I love it. What would it be? What would you guys choose if you had to do breakfast for dinner? I'd I'd go for like chicken and waffles or something like that, like fried chicken and waffles. Um, Is that really breakfast for dinner, though? That's like breakfast turned into dinner. That's breakfast for dinner as breakfast for dinner. Yeah, As dinner for breakfast. (laughs) I would do like the old school hotel you have like an omelet station waffle station and then just like like uh scrambled eggs just in one of those 
heat it up things just like really make them feel oh, what like you mean it. like a what well, well, like a bain like marie i think buffet. it's called is it yeah. called like a bain marie where they're just yeah, in exactly. there and you yeah. basically just eat from a trough yes essentially yes yes and then, in fact <laughs> I'd, I'd run up and they'd all get the horse feeder and they could just shove the shove oh. the scrambled eggs directly into that <laughs> and just it'd be an all-round experience you just imagine people walking around filling it up with beans and <laughs> these people just eat from a mule feed yes exactly oh and then i blackmail them with the pictures <laughs> i'll be a hell of a masters one you have guy the suggest... cereal thing that stupid oh, no. cereal thing that they all have that has the worst four cereals in it <laughs> it's like no one wants the cereals. i mean there's always bran flakes isn't it like there's always brand that's flakes. the best one usually in there is brand flakes. <laughs> <laughs> one guy suggested just bourbon so that would be in that would be an interesting approach and there are a few others but the other one that caught my eye well i'll give one other because someone gave a full menu so they deserve some credit wedge salad charcoal grilled tomahawk ribeye with cream spinach apple pie with french vanilla ice cream so he's gone full menu that's a good one i would eat that for sure and the final suggestion that really caught my eye soup <laughs> just soup. so nothing nothing around it no no qualifying no, no, no suggestion on types of soup. I mean, you could do a three-course soup meal, right? You could have, you could have a start soup starter, main course soup, and you could come up with a dessert soup. Can you imagine yeah. just walking into the dining hall or room or whatever it is at the Masters? I think what well, in the US it's Campbell's, isn't it? Yeah, That's the like, yeah. Soup brand. You can imagine just these like pyramids of like, <laughs> like there's like chicken there's tomato take your pick and you can imagine the shock on people's faces as they just see these mountains of canned food there was a big debate in our friends group in high school over their favorite soup and one person's soup i've confirmed it was miso soup was his favorite soup but you have to imagine now that this is we live in central new jersey so you're not getting authentic miso soup where I'm sure there's tons of preparation and delicacy and fine tuning to it. You're getting the free miso soup that comes with basically any meal you order on the Chinese food. If you can order an egg roll, just one egg roll and they'll throw in miso soup for free. That was his number one was miso soup. And we used to tear into him that it's basically just like water with some salt and and just a tiny bit of whatever like their concentrated miso paste is in it yeah i mean look i'm i like miso soup and i even buy miso soup packets that i make for myself at home and it is fundamentally it is just you boil some water pour in the meat in the miso soup yeah. and it it tastes exactly like the miso soup you'll get at any cheap japanese restaurant now i've had really good miso soup it does taste significantly nicer but I miso soup's a little bit basic for your favorite soup, even if I do really like it. Like there's no moment where I'd be disappointed to have miso soup. I like it a lot, but it's a little bit bland for your not bland in flavor, but just like not the most creative choice for your favorite soup. So what would be your favorite soup? Consomme. <laughs> <laughs> so the vegetable version? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> just just boiled water. With some salt. No, not even. I like to keep it straight, simple. Um, now, here's the thing is, I mean, we discussed this mildly before, and 
I, I wonton soup would be way up there for me. I like all of the there's an there's an Asian place near us where I get just some various varieties of like wonton or noodle soups, and all of those would figure would feature like relatively high on any list of favorite soups I came up with. Yeah, but is that really? Are you? Do you enjoy it for the soup aspect of it, or are you just like dumplings? Because at that point, it's basically saying you like dumplings that are soaked in water. I like that. I've had soup with dumplings in it. I like that too. <laughs> like to me, that's just that you're taking soup to another level because you've got just the soup, and now you're really turning the soup into a meal. Like that to me is the that's the win out of any of that approach. Like I really like tomato soup or whatever, and occasionally in the winter or whatever, I'll have that as a meal. But I wouldn't sit down for like a big dinner. And, ha- and just have a bowl of soup. Whereas you could you could get me on board with a noodle soup as being like my fillet or like a soup with some some dumplings in it as being like, well, here's my meal. You look yeah, puzzled, but Sam. <laughs> but to me, that's like, sorry. So for instance, if you took San Francisco has this dish called Chiapino. Did you ever have that? Yeah, you know, I was born and raised in San Francisco. Yeah, so technically that's just a ton of really nice, seafood in like a red based soup but it, you wouldn't call that soup so yeah that would be really great if you i'm just, just dumping it. loads of great things into some sort of broth but i don't think they would consider that a soup 100 percent, it's a soup is it to me if the if, if the dish involves primarily being in liquid then it's a soup i don't know now here's the I, only thing i'll say i don't yeah. think like Pho is not a soup. So what about, all right, so technically what they're saying here is Chiapino is a stew. Is stew a soup? That's an interesting debate. No. No. <laughs> stew isn't a stew. debate. No. no. A stew isn't a soup. I would say a stew is like, uh, sorry, a soup is like a broth or like a blended food. Versus a stew would be what? Well, isn't a stew you're like stewing in the juices of like meat or something like that? Yeah, like a broth. (laughs) Okay, I would say there has to be like a percentage level of it. I love that we've become a food food I don't know. I'm going to go like (laughs) for sure over half has to be non-liquid and you'd probably say it's a stew. Anything below, I mean, a broth is just flavored water, right? And then you add stuff to it. You don't, you don't stew stuff by adding stuff to boiling water. Okay, so here's the to me the difference. To me the difference. Okay, listen. You say what you think it is. I'll tell you what most people say it is. To me, it's when the primary focus is the liquid, and I don't mean that like there can't be other major ingredients in there, but fundamentally, you are ordering a soup to consume the liquid as well, in addition to whatever else is contained. Whereas to me, when I order stew or make stew, I, it, it's a method of preparing the meat that I'm then eating. So like, I'm not necessarily that interested in the liquid around the meat itself. Like that adds to the flavor, but I'm not necessarily like spooning that liquid into my mouth. Whereas the soup, obviously, I wouldn't order a noodle soup, only eat the noodles and then just leave the broth. Whereas I might leave it, I might order a stew, eat all the meat and other ingredients and leave a lot of the sort of soup juice behind me. That's disgusting. I've asked Google, at what point does a soup become a stew? 
and stews have less liquid than soups, are much thicker, require longer cooking over low heat. Um, can I, can I just ask? Can we the primary ingredient in a soup is a liquid versus stew is much heartier and thicker. Uh, I'm basically Google then. Can we re- can we rebrand the podcast quickly as Soup Juice? I, th- I think that's <laughs> that's a much better name. I'm I'm glad we tackled that on the sports podcast. Wait, yeah. But Sam, you didn't tell us what your favorite soup was, Sam. Oh, I don't know. Um, I really like something like potato and leek. That's a good soup. Um, what an endorsement. Yeah. That's that a is a good soup, soup. <laughs> or maybe maybe something like oxtail oxtail and meat you can have yeah. a meat soup though yeah you can have bits what is, and what soup. is oxtail soup is it just broth with oxtail in it yeah fundamentally yeah fundamentally oh, i've never heard of it no 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 it's fine it's not your fault <laughs> what's your, what's your favorite soup then frank while you're critiquing everyone else's decisions i would probably go for like I couldn't eat it every time, but maybe a lobster crab corn bisque. See, that's interesting, though, because ah. when I then thought of the criticism of the miso, if you're picking your favorite soup, but then you preface it with, I can't eat it every time, interesting selection of favorite. Whereas I guess that's the advantage that miso has going for it. Which <laughs> is kind of what I like. I would never turn down miso, I would have miso anytime. Like that's a great tagline. I'd have miso anytime. It's going to be the tagline for our soup juice podcast, the spinoff that we're going to, the cooking show spinoff we're going to have. Here's a question: What's the difference between a stew and a chili? Oh, that's an interesting one. Couldn't even tell you. We'll have to wait till our full-fledged food podcast. To yeah, that's soup, that, that's soup juice episode two. Don't but I'm now thinking about soup juice, and all I can hear in my head is Footloose. <laughs> oh, that, that we could do a cover Everybody song. Everybody cut loose song. soup juice. Yeah. <laughs> Shit, oh, we've see, got better this ideas is a, this. This is a way better idea. This is all over for the big chill. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be the big chili. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> big chili. And it's sister one soup juice. <laughs> yeah, rival. We have our own rivalry between our own our own podcasts. See, I, I'm not going to say it because you're just going to make fun of me. <laughs> oh, no, please no, you've got to please, please do. I was going to say the big chill would still work for me because I have to have soup at a very low temperature because I have a very sensitive mouth. <laughs> 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 Anything burns my mouth, and I mean this seriously. If I eat pizza, swear to God, every time I eat pizza, the first slice will burn my mouth, whether I let it sit for like 10 minutes or not. Same with soup. We just had soup yesterday. I put four ice cubes in it, and the first sip still burnt my mouth. I have that issue with tea. I don't drink coffee, but tea, the first the first sip is almost always going to like burn my lip and tongue like yeah. every time. Even when I leave it, until I leave it to get basically chilled and then disgusting. Like, that's a real issue for me. I don't have that same issue with soup. I will say my dad is the reverse. And we have, routinely, we have family arguments. Because he will require, he will not eat soup unless it is literally boiling, basically. (laughs) 
And so like my mother will make soup and she'll put it down for everyone else. And then she has to continue to prepare it for a while. So that's a temperature that my dad finds acceptable. Why? <laughs> Does I don't he know. Think there's more flavor at that temperature. Or? He literally doesn't think it's soup. Like he doesn't consider for soup juice. He doesn't consider gazpacho a soup because he says if it's not warm, it's not a soup. That's his rule. <laughs> like that's uh, so. Just out why. of interest, how does this turn into a family argument? <laughs> well, because in, in their family probably yeah. turns into a family argument when Eddie's at the table. <laughs> yeah. That's true. <laughs> it's just the effect I have on people, but. It's annoying for my mother or anyone else preparing soup for my dad because they have to take it to a temperature that is way too hot for everyone else consuming the soup. So you either then, you, if you imagine like the Goldilocks situation, you either have to provide 95% of the people with a soup that is too hot for them, or you have to provide the one person with a soup that is too cold. And there is literally no middle ground on the soup. <laughs> I can imagine the adaptation to the rhyme. It's like, this one's too cold. This one's just right. This one's fucking boiling. Yes. I'll take that one, please. Oh, that one that that one that looked that someone just burnt their hand off in? That's the one I'd like, please. But no, literally every time soup is served, it turns into this whole, like, oh, it's not going to be hot enough. And then you'll ask him, like, is it hot enough? And he'll kind of do the, like, it's fine. You just give this, like, if someone's worked hard on a soup or something, it's not exactly the, the the kind of ringing endorsement you would hope for your as a kind of review of your labor. I Easily never get fixable. that. With, I never get that with coffee either. If you just order coffee at a at a normal place, it's like boiling hot coffee. One coffee shouldn't ever be boiling. I mean, that's it's not going to make the coffee taste good. But then when they give it to you. It, it takes me 15, 20 minutes to let it cool enough so I can drink it. Yeah. Yeah. And I always put that um, to go, what you call it? Like the, um, the lid on top of it. I always take it off. And then like my eyes are almost singed off <laughs> just by that plume of like, like smoke yeah. that comes out. <laughs> yeah. But there are people who will take it and instantly start drinking it. Those people need to be tested for being a serial killer. Because there is something not right with them. <laughs> I love test them. What like could, or do you mean like would it be like the other way of finding out if they're a serial killer? It's like, oh, do you want some coffee? And if they drink it straight away, serial killer, got them. Yes. Okay. You could just do <laughs> that in it. the in like the interrogation room when someone's been brought in. Just immediately yeah. give them coffee, drink it, guilty, book them, take them, take them to court. Only evidence we need. Either they're a serial killer or they're a robot. You can get Eddie like, on it after it's, it's like Blade Runner. It's the new adaptation to the Blade <laughs> Runner test. You can get Eddie on it after his 50 buds as well. <laughs> like he'll be the lawyer you want in court. You can call it Bean Runner, Frank. Nice. <laughs> Is that our, our next spinoff? The spinoff of soup, soup Juice. Coffee beans in a sci-fi dystopia. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we will just discuss what will coffee look like after the next world war. Ooh. Talking about absolute destruction, I know that we usually we <laughs> we usually we usually save we usually, usually save the uh, results of our weekend picks until Thursday because then we get the benefit of knowing the Monday night result as well. It has to be said, no matter what happens in Monday night, Frank has made Sam's previous week look like wait, <laughs> I haven't seen it. So I got I went three and. Three and eleven, three and twelve, last one. 
Uh, you last week you went three and eleven. Wow, what have you done? I don't know. That's not good. I mean, we all had the push, right? Because we all had the Texans and Browns at the midweek line of Browns minus three. So I guess we can maybe start off there after I've given this. But but Nick Chubb, Chubb Nick Chubb, Chubb stepping out of bounds saved Frank because it gave him a push that he desperately needed. Um, that being said, y- you have three right at the moment going into this game. I have so Vikings, right? You have everyone. All three of us have the Vikings minus two point five. So you can't gain or lose on on any of us. Um, but you've you've taken a little bit of a beating. Yeah. I can imagine I've had too many. I, I haven't seen it yet, but I must only be on like five or so. I don't think I did so good. You have six right. Hmm. So no matter what, good. you've you've caught three up on on Frank, hmm. and I have uh, seven right. I think were we all stung by the same? I think we're all stung again by the same one, like the Pats. The we, we all got the we all got the Titans wrong. We all yeah. got the Eagles wrong, and we all got the Ravens wrong. The only one that bothers me there is the Eagles because I do always genuinely believe the Giants keep it close and I could have been tempted to take the Giants with the points, but it wasn't that many points. Yeah, it was only three points. So Yeah, and fundamentally, if you think the Eagles are going to win, the chances are pretty high they're going to win by three. And you did take the points in a lot of a lot of time, a lot yeah. of times. We also all got burned straight up in the sense that we all picked the Bills to win. They ended up covering that spread because the Cardinals turned down the extra point to avoid the risk of the two-point return. Yeah. Uh, so we were all right in the spread pick, but we all got the bills straight up wrong. Yeah, actually, there was three decent betting burns if you were a gambler. So there was the Nick uh, Chubb ran, running out of bounds at the one to end the game for the Browns where they would have covered had he scored the touchdown where he was known within 10 yards. You had Arizona not kicking the extra point and kneeing on it. So that way you don't get the two point swing. And then there was this not as substantial, but there was the Seahawks at the end were coming back and driving. And instead of going for a touchdown to put it within three, they decided to kick the field goal to put it to seven and then try and get the onside kick. And I'm pretty sure the spread was either three or three and a half at that time. So they would have either pushed or covered had they scored. I mean, who knows? They probably might not have scored the touchdown, but at least would have given them the chance to score. So there was three decent shitty betting scenarios for that week. If you were betting real money and not pride on the podcast. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, look, the, the Seahawks won. You're right. Like, look, it's not as if they turned down a touchdown to kick the field goal. The other two would be heartbreaking. Or way worse. Yeah. Because if you had the if you had the Browns minus three when he took off and when you realize that Nick Chubb, because I mean, once he broke down the sideline, you would have been like, oh my God, I'm gonna win. So then to see him step out would have been heartbreaking. And then equally in the Cardinals, you would have assumed once they scored the touchdown that oh, they're also gonna cover. The only thing I will say, I think the Browns is worse because even though both of them involved kind of crazy plays like Nick Chubb taking off all the way like just right down the sideline was sort of insane but because the Cardinals required just an absolute miracle of a play to even give you uh, a hope don't a do it Murray? oh god <laughs> <laughs> yeah like 
you can be upset by it, but I don't think you fundamentally have to be like, well, it was so lucky that I even had a chance of winning that I can't be that angry. Like, I can't feel like it was a bad beat because it required a miracle to even give me a chance. Like, almost, you have to be more upset when the when it comes to the Bills-Cardinals um, game. You have to be more upset that they allowed the Bills to drive down to take the lead than you do the fact that they didn't take the extra point. Yeah. So that game, I have an interesting take. We can get to the, the Hail Mary play at the end. But that was a genuine time where I thought the way that the Premier League and, and Premier League and, and all European football, how they have draws and how you'll hear a lot of times, you know, a team was deserving of a point or both those teams deserved a point. That was one of the first games in a really long time where I really feel both the Bills and the Cardinals neither deserved a loss. Like looking at it when, when the Cardinals were losing after the Bills drove, I remember thinking, man, that's really shitty for the Cardinals because now their record's going to be substantially worse than the Rams and the Seahawks, even though it's one game. I mean, in that division, that could make or break it in that division. And they really didn't deserve that much of a hit off of a great game they played that was back and forth. And then at the very end, then when you look at the Bills, you're like, damn, the Bills definitely didn't deserve that type of loss. You know, and now they're even in a playoff hunt with, with the Dolphins. So that was one of the first times where... And the Patriots. Yeah, I kind of understood with European football or soccer where the draw is actually a nice outcome sometimes. And there are times where teams are both deserving of a point versus one team getting three and the other getting none. The spin sometimes with the draw is that exact fact that neither team deserve to lose. And I, I do agree with you. You kind of there, you had this back and forth battle and in a way having the draw slash tie, whatever you want to call it, would have been the fair result. And both teams would have walked away being mildly disappointed because they would have thought, well, we had opportunities to win, but at the same time thinking that was probably on the day, there are two, two, two good teams. We both kind of gave it our best shot, had some good swings at it. And this was probably, we, we, we matched each other. Yeah, for sure. Now getting to that play, the Hopkins aspect of it and the defense around Hopkins is one thing, but I still feel as people are disregarding what Kyler Murray did in that first part of the play, one, he, he evades the, the defensive end or whoever it was pretty nicely. Like that was a nice move to, to make him miss and get around him. And then he throws the ball 55 yards as a righty running to the left, which is a very, very hard throw to make. And he throws it. It's a perfect throw. If that throws yeah. in any other spot, yeah. Hopkins does not get that. He's hitting yeah, a I mean, target. He's hitting a guy in one spot there. If he's like more towards the pylon, there's no way he gets it. Do you know what I mean? Like he put it in a very good spot and he was – like running out of bounds, throwing across his body 55 yards. That was an impressive throw. That was a clutch yeah. throw. I, I'll disagree slightly. I think it's it's an incredible throw. And to get it into the end zone, in terms of where it was, I don't think, I don't believe for one second that he was like aiming for uh, Hopkins, that he will have looked up and been like, I need this to be, you know, five yards off the pylon for this to well, be. Well, I mean, a he kind of has to be aiming at Hopkins though, because there's no one else even there. I think he's just, I'm throwing this. This is a literal Hail Mary. I'm putting this in the end zone. The ball's going to be in the air. 
he's just seen a tiny bit of red in the end zone yes. and he's gone for that side of the end zone. And you figure I throw the, the, the it's going to take a couple seconds for this ball to get in the end zone. Hopefully one of my players, this gives someone the time to get in a position to make a play on the ball. Now, and I don't when that is, that's not like a, like it's an incredible throw to be running that way. And to just, just to get the ball in the end zone, because I have to admit, like I had, I had, I wanted the bills to win when he took off. You were like, Hey, he's, he's using way too much time. That was the initial thought of like, Oh, this is great. This is like the, this is like the dumbest thing you can do in this scenario where you've turned possibly two plays into one play. So there was that thought. And then when he rolled out and he heaved it up, at first, I was like, there's no way it's making it to the end zone. So even if this is getting caught, it's game over. Like, there was almost a moment where I was like, I hope a Cardinals player catches this because it's going to be on, like, the 10-yard line, and then that's going to be game over versus it being patted down, and there's one second left, and they get to try again. Yeah, just but the that, way he, like, turned his hips to throw that is just so crazy. No, no, it's 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 crazy. It's it's an inc- And I agree with you. The throw is way more impressive than the catch. The catch is great. I'm not, but you know, that's just a bunch of like three guys, four guys jumping for the ball. And in the end, Hopkins is in the best position to catch it. That's for sure. So that helps him. It's still, it's still a great catch, but the throw is more impressive than the catch itself. Yeah. And both you and my father text me at the same time saying, why on earth are they trying to catch the ball? Just don't knock get it down the goddamn ball. Why don't are you get it to all. Make an interception? It's one of the dumber aspects of like NFL secondaries. You see it even worse. Like the worst example is when it's like fourth down and they'll try and get the, and it's like fourth and 23 and the ball gets thrown to them and they try and intercept it on like their two yard line. And then they're even worse. They like don't get the interception and they're disappointed with themselves that they haven't. They'll like react like, Oh my God, how did I not pick it? And I get that they've got their stats and it's probably tied to bonuses and, you know, like making the pro bowl or whatever. So there's an individual incentive there, but still you're just like, no, 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 no. You didn't want, like you were, you were going to get instantly tackled. You, you did not want to catch that ball. It happened this weekend. I, I forget what game it was. I was watching one of the games and it was, either getting the ball back on the 50 yard line or getting the ball back on their own five yard line. And the guy luckily couldn't hold on to it. And he was super pissed about it. Yeah. And it's like, just step back and understand the situation. You shouldn't be pissed. You should be pissed that you are so dumb that you wanted to catch it. That's what you should be pissed about. <laughs> yeah. If any of those bills, bills players had just decided, I'm just going to smack this ball, then it's an incompletion. And okay, there would have been one second left on the clock or two seconds left, and they would have had another shot at it. And that's maybe one of those. And then they get the touchdown on that. And then people are like, well, if the guy had just caught the ball the first time, they wouldn't have had another play. But fundamentally, it would have been like, okay, this is actually in the end zone. Let's just smack this ball. So in honor of that, Eddie, and since I know you love the puns and the play on words almost as much as I do, I've gone through and found some other Hail Mary puns. So the current term for this one is the Hail Murray. That's what it's definitely going to be known as. So you have the Hail Flutie, which I don't really get isn't much of a play on words. <laughs> it's just adding someone's name in. The Hail Murray yeah. one, I'll give I'll give it credit, right? Not credit because it wasn't it didn't take any real thought, but it works. The only thing I would say is it's an iconic play and it's probably going to be one of those things that we look back on it will be the play of the season, but it's kind of a meaningless play. Like it has playoff implications, but it's not like 
they got in the playoffs because of this, or it was like a, a, a game winning play in the playoffs. So you're not going to be like, wow, that was the defining moment of the year. It'll catch some publicity only because Hopkins will eventually be a, a hall of famer. So that will be one of his more iconic catches. Yeah. So I think it'll kind of always have steam there and who knows, maybe Murray will as well. Yes. But okay. Hail Flutie, not a good one. Someone remind um, me why Hopkins was traded in the first place by the Texans. Because the Texans are idiots. <laughs> That's it. I saw you they said fired pre- their comms. What was it? The the only female um, communications director for a team. And they basically came out. I mean, there's tons of reasons you can fire someone. But don't come out with the only female person and say she's not a cultural fit. <laughs> it's just bad. Everything it's is bad. bad communications, at- ironically. <laughs> yeah, the irony about that. But everything to that team just points like an absolute train wreck at the moment. But anyway, sorry. Hail Mary puns. Um, let's see. You have the the Miracle Bowl, which was the BYU one. They beat him in the Holiday Bowl in 1980. Yeah, I, mean, I can't you even remember. The, I, don't, I don't know that play off the top of my head. So it's Yeah, difficult. this is a good one. You have the Miracle of Michigan. That's the Cordell Stewart one when he threw that like 65-yard bomb to beat Michigan. All the miracle ones are going to be usurped for me because of the miracle in Dina? Minnesota or Minneapolis, whatever they call it. Wait, what? Oh, the, God, the, the I, Diggs I, one? The Stefan uh, Diggs one? Yeah. Oh, I can only think of golf, miracle in Medina. Also true. Oh, that's yeah. a good one. Yeah. Uh, the miracle yeah. in is always going to work just when the location begins with M. You know, that's like <laughs> fundamentally, that's the game plan. You know, like you, you win, you win a big World Cup qualifier in Morocco, miracle in Morocco. Like it, it just, <laughs> it just, it's written for you. So then you have, uh, let's see. Are, are these plays on words or puns? I mean, thing? also, this is one you'll be unfamiliar with, Frank. But the winner of all time in the pun response is when Inverness Caledonian Thistle knocked Celtic out of the Scottish Cup. And the headline that one newspaper had was uh, Super Cali Go Ballistic Celtic are atrocious. (laughs) And like, you're never going to beat it. It is incredible. (laughs) You have the miracle at Motown. That was when, that's one of what, Three Aaron Rodgers? No. Oh, that's the one that like nearly touched the roof. The one that went. That's that the high. first one. The Miracle yeah. at Motown is the first one where they beat the Lions at the end, and then he had a postseason miracle at Motown when he then beat he has the, the Cardinals. Against, then he, yeah, the the well, he had the back to back hail marys against the Cardinals. Yeah, but then yeah. the Cardinals won that game, so yes, the, so the miracle the miracle doesn't really count. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so this so far, there's the, the the prayer at Jordan Air is a pretty good one, but that's like a random one for Auburn, so it's not very pop- popular. So the Hail Murray is is fitting in pretty good. Yeah, it's not competing against a lot there. It has to be said. No. But other conclusions uh, from the weekend, I mean, it mostly kind of went to plan, right? Like the for the most part. All of the teams that were relatively heavy favorites won, maybe not as emphatically as expected in the case of the Packers, 
who kind of struggled their way past the Jags. I was sweating that out a little bit. And then the only, the kind of upset of the weekend, obviously, was the Ravens losing to the Patriots. Oh, about the Giants. I don't know if I'm going to say that's the upset of the weekend. I mean, it, as, it could have been an upset the other way then. <laughs> exactly. No matter what happened, it was an upset. I mean, in a fair, actually, either the Eagles or the Giants winning a game is an upset, even if they're playing each other. Like that was a game. That's the reverse. That's the not neither team deserves to lose. That's neither team deserves to win. But I mean, the fact, as I said to Frank, the fact that we are facing the prospect of the Giants playing a home game in the playoffs is just mind blowing. Yeah. Well, and the annoying thing is if they now want to go into a playoff run, specifically, obviously, an NFC East playoff run, it's quite disappointing when you look at their results already, where they've lost a game by one, they've lost a game by two, they've lost a game by three, they've lost a game by four. You know, if, if they had oh my just God, won we've, one or have you two considered that games. they're doing this on purpose? This is some <laughs> kind of some kind of like they're just obsessed with some weird sequence. <laughs> they might actually have a pretty good sequence even further than that because I think they lost one by five or six as well. Oh but my I, God. I just I just know the, those ones in particular. <laughs> so you're looking at a scenario where had they just won two of those games, they would now be leading the NFC East. But would I would have argued I'd rather them lose it so that way they can get a good draft pick. But now if they're really invested in actually winning the NFC East, it's really shitty that they've lost those games that were super close that they probably should have won. Well, here's the thing is, I mean, we've kind of discussed, right, different games where I've been like mildly impressed by the Giants. They were okay against the Eagles yesterday. They deserved to win. I don't think it was a particularly like good performance, but they definitely were the better team on the day. If the Giants are playing a home game against the Cardinals or the Rams, would it be inconceivable that they win? Like They would obviously be fairly heavy underdogs, and I wouldn't expect them to win. But that like fringe category of NFC teams, I mean, we've already discussed like every team in the NFC is flawed. So no matter who they end up playing, you could kind of see a weakness that they could try and exploit. But like... There are plenty of teams that I could see them playing at home in a playoff game and thinking that they had a reasonable chance of winning. Would I can't remember. We chatted about this at the start, but is there a potential for crowds to be back for the playoff? Or is it done? In New York, I would say no way. Definitely not New Jersey. Okay. <laughs> There's quite the back and that, forth with the New Jersey governor. Because <laughs> that all over have, my Facebook feed. Because <laughs> that would have helped, right? If if the Giants had a home yeah. field advantage and crowd back, like I'd I'd certainly be um, singing off what you're saying. Yeah, and look, I I fully expect either if it's the Eagles or if it's the or the Giants or even if it's conceivably the Cowboys somehow get themselves into fix fix some problems and win that division. Whoever that team is, I expect them to lose in the first round. I'm not saying that suddenly I'm predicting some playoff run for any of them. It's just they are going to be playing a team that is flawed on one side of the ball. And so you could imagine a scenario in which they win a playoff game. I also imagine a scenario where it's the easiest bet of the year. It's just, oh, the Giants are at home, like six-point underdogs in the playoffs. Well, this is an absolute gimme. Now, Frank, I feel like I ask you this every week. 
can we retire the theory that the Texans are good? They nearly didn't score a point. <laughs> they had a fundamentally near on garbage time touchdown to stop them from being shut out. I think it's have... time. I think it's time I say that the Texans are not making the playoffs. Because there was nothing uh, there was nothing about Deshaun out. Watson that was MVP. <laughs> yeah, they have some flaws. On the bright side, they held the Browns to 10 points. <laughs> I mean, I don't I don't think they have any positives. I literally don't think they have any positives. I don't think the Browns have scored that much in the last three outs as well. I think they've only no. scored about 26. That so was a game. It's not that was a game almost where you could have told me neither team deserved to win. Um, that was <laughs> that's like the bad side of the draw. That's like the mad you yes. Chelsea side of the draw. Well, they, I mean, they were on one course on. They were on course for a football score, and by that I mean soccer. Like it was going to finish three zero, and you're going to be like, which sport was this? Like Cleveland beat Houston three zero at the weekend. Which sport were they playing? Was it ice hockey? Was it was it soccer? Was it baseball? Oh no, it was American football. Yeah, it was not. I mean, I didn't watch it in particular. I just watched it on Red Zone. It was not. I watched there was almost not many highlights coming from that game. I watched almost all of it. I sorry to hear that. <laughs> well, in a way, like I actually kind of enjoy. It wasn't awful to watch because it kind of was this defensive battle. It wasn't total incompetence. Um, so there was it was like kind of entertaining. And when a game is a three-point game for almost all of it, it, it adds significance to every play, right? So that was yeah. kind of interesting, but it, it certainly wasn't high quality. Well, compared to it was the opposite of the Panthers-Bucks game, right? Now here, what, uh, we've already discussed the Cardinals and, we, and Nick Chubb, what Nick Chubb did. I've seen significant reaction from people on social media, mainly just gamblers who lost bets. And this, I, this is what I hate. Either fantasy team. Fantasy is worse. Or At gamblers. least gambling, most people have money invested. Although now I guess fantasy football people do have money invested. But the amount over time, if you're in a league, is not very substantial. So yeah, it, you're, prob- it you're probably more. not in a $20,000 buy-in yeah. league you're probably in like a 20 buck buy-in that you weren't going to win anyway but you're bitching that you lost the week because nick but you're gonna have to it. shave your head and your pubes if you get last <laughs> <laughs> well i don't want to know about your leads <laughs> no you know what i mean you see those stupid stupid yeah. but but literally i saw people i saw even guys from barstool who are now like so into their gambling coverage bitching about what the Cardinals and what the the Browns did. And it's just like, look, they removed any risk factor from winning the game. Like they shouldn't give a shit about your fantasy score or about the spread that you had. Their only goal is to win the game. And so okay, Nick Chubb and people can say like, well the game was over if Nick Chubb had scored. It would have been a two score game with like 40 seconds left. Almost impossible for the Browns to lose. It's like Almost impossible. <laughs> I mean, not totally. Yeah. Nick Nick Chubb's Twitter should have just have read C Todd Gurley. That should have been Nick yeah. Nick Chubb's Twitter or, this morning. Or or see Atlanta Falcons. Yeah. Or even or even just see what happened then later in the Bills game. Not not that the scenario was exact, but like if you just seen someone toss up a fifty five yard touchdown as they run out of bounds, you don't want to give people this. A possibility that like they make crazy plays and win the, and 
or even just the just the simple fact you score, you kick the ball back, and then and then Miles Garrett gets injured on the next play. Yeah, but a play that didn't need to happen. Yeah. So uh, really quickly, I kind of want to go back to the Cardinals Bills just because this kind of ties in. So the Cardinals scored. They decide not to kick the extra point, which is the smart move. It's the right move because all that can happen is either you go up by three or they block it, run it back, and you're tied. There's no benefit to kicking that extra point. They then had two seconds left on the clock, and they kick it off and do the stereotypical squid kick, which is another thing I don't understand why they do that. I don't. What I really don't get and what's disappointing because it would have been really fun to see because it's been talked about all year, why don't the Bills instantly kneel on that squib kick and have Josh, I've got a cannon for an arm, Allen, get out there and throw his 70-yard touchdown pass? Because I think they would have caught it at around the 35, 40-yard line. Maybe about the, let's, the, say, let's, let's say 35-yard line. They, kneel, they catch it, kneel on it with one second left. He's then got about an 80-yard throw he needs to make into the end zone, which conceivably he thinks he could do. Yeah, it's on the it's on the limit of his declared range. Yeah. So why would they have not done that after just seeing what had happened versus doing one of those stupid, I'm gonna catch it, throw it, and then lateral it and game over? I, I guess the argument would be more people score on kickoff returns than on Hail Marys, probably. I don't know. Oh, we just literally saw one. I don't think that's true. Oh, then. <laughs> And then the other part of that is why do they still do squid kicks? Why do you give them the option? Wouldn't the better thing is kick it into the end zone and give it to the ball in the 25? Because there's no way you're making that far of a throw. I would say no. On the 40, the 30 or the 40 versus the 25. I would say I've almost, you almost never see the squib kick returned. And what ended up happening is what almost always happens, which is just yeah. a guy picks it up stupidly inter like instantly tries to lateral it. No one it's then just a fumble and it's just a mess. Whereas I guess the smart, if you were a smart player and they had kneeled on it, then you've given them a legitimate chance to score. Not yeah. a great one, but you figure Allen can hit that throw. You have more chance of from your own 25 getting a flag, like going deep, having a defensive pass interference. Suddenly you got the ball on their 30. They kick the field goal and win over returning the kickoff. That's true. Which to me is the thing I think people never do enough in the Hail Mary situation is like, no, no, no you underthrow the guy. Yeah. Like, like actually like take him, like do the Joe Flacco where you underthrow him by five yards and he turns around and then just like makes a big deal out of the, the corner being in front of yeah. him and then you get the flag thrown. Like that's almost a smarter move than actually having the like good Hail Mary attempt. The thing that makes this season so tough, and it might be because of no preseason, it's just such an inconsistent year. Like it's hard to read form from week to week and from team to team. You know, you'll have the the Titans destroy the the uh the Bills one week and then get easily handled by the Colts, and then the Ravens destroy the Colts, and then can't beat the Patriots, like, and then the Patriots struggle to beat the Jets. Like you, Every time you kind of look at, like, with the exception of the Steelers, basically, who even sometimes have snuck games out, but with the except, like, apart from that, it's really difficult to see any consistency from week to week and be like, oh, this team is guaranteed to beat this team. 
Yeah, and I think a classic example of that was Rams Seahawks. You know, I, I mean, maybe, maybe I just missed it, but I didn't think the Rams were that good. You know, and, and alternatively, I didn't think that the Seahawks would, their offense would stutter that badly. I get that the Rams have a good defense, but you still expect the, the Seahawks to play a little bit better on offense than that. And even after watching that game, I don't know who I think is the better team. Rams. Rams are more around. Yeah. I think, I think what this has shown is one of the points I had from this weekend is that Mahomes is probably just favorite for MVP now massively. <laughs> you know, without we'll doing much. We'll get to that. <laughs> like, without doing much. But um, yeah, for me, I what Eddie was saying about the inconsistency, I'm starting to lean towards the realization that I'd rather an all-round team for that inconsistency. Or I'd rather someone that has a good defense at the moment. Like even the Colts. Um, the Colts, the Steelers, more all-round lineups like the Rams. Uh, I'm... I think for the next six weeks, we're probably going to see that rather than this kind of like Seahawks style where it's just like, I will outscore you because we've all seen the flaws in that now. Yeah, I mean, I think when you're the Seahawks, which is what we've touched on in, in prior weeks, every week, basically, the issue with them is they're defensively, they're so bad that you need Wilson to be almost perfect for them to beat a good team. And... That for me is why now maybe he'll be perfect in the playoffs and they'll beat the Rams or, you know, whoever else stands in their way. But I would rather a team where I don't have to, I don't have to go into it being like, they've got to be perfect on one side of the ball. Otherwise this could be an absolute disaster. For sure. Even the, even when you look defensively at like the Colts, for example, um, even though they got beat by the Ravens, they really only got beat for like a short period in that Ravens game at the start of the second half because they still restricted them massively in rushing yards to what is it like 100 and 140, 150 odd. They just didn't score. Um, so the Colts still performed pretty well. It was just the Ravens kind of just outran basically, but then you saw how exposed the Ravens look when they're stopped. And yeah, I'm starting to think, cause this is one of the best reasons for the Steelers team, right? Is the, um, the defensive unit. They're an all round team. They're not wowing anyone. They're not winning um with incredible scores etc but big ben does the job as a quarterback they've got a good defense and they score enough offensively i mean yeah i i think at the moment the steelers are looking really good in that respect because of that all-roundness to their game yeah i think for me kind of you know getting with the inconsistency and all that is if you look at the afc i think it's pretty clear who the top teams are and we talked about this last week, and I think this week's of games makes it even trickier for me. Who are the top teams in the NFC? I mean, I still don't. I mean, you have the Packers, the Saints, Cardinals, Bucks are your division leaders, and then Rams and Seahawks, and I guess Bears are your current wild cards. I don't, I don't know. I don't know who the best team is in there. No, I think we're going to look at an NFC playoff, even when we enter the playoffs, where you're, I don't think you're going to be able to eliminate, with the possible exception of whoever's coming into it from the NFC East. I think you won't be able to eliminate any other team from possible, like having a good chance of making the Super Bowl, which is going to be crazy to say. But I think every wildcard team is going to think, like, we might be the best team in this 
Yeah, and I think the tough part's going to be, who do I bet? I, I, I can see myself getting smacked in the face from the NFC side of the playoff picture. I can see everyone being a loss. Yeah. I guess, I guess with that, we kind of are a week late now, which is unfortunate because the Russell Wilson bad performance kind of takes some of the controversy out of it. But we should probably do like a mid-season awards recap with just some of the major ones. So the first one obviously being MVP. So who do you guys have for MVP? I mean, I kind of declared my hand last week, right? And that is, I'm sticking with Rodgers. Um, and to me, it's straight up right now, it's just between Rodgers and Mahomes. As far as I'm concerned, those are the only two people in with a realistic chance. Um, but I'm I'm gonna say that that I'm I'm gonna stick with Rogers. I mean, do we want to? Because things change. Wilson, for example, is no longer favorite. He's been favorite almost the whole entire year. He was odds on for a significant number of weeks, and now Mahomes, who didn't even play, is now a favorite. So he was the big winner in the in the MVP MVP race of the weekend. My pick's gonna be Rogers. But before you two make your pick, the interesting thing is Ben Roethlisberger's twenty five to one. Yeah, I'm not getting it. I'm if they go unbeaten, like doesn't doesn't he kind of have to be MVP? The thing is, like you can say what you want about the Steelers season this season, but look at them last season without him. They went what they didn't really have that many massive upgrades from last year's team, yet they had what is it a 500 record? Like they either went, I think they went either eight and eight or nine and seven, right? Yeah, it was something hovering around the kind of you know, uh kind of half and half, I guess, 500. And then here he is with a similar looking team and he's nine and eight. So, sorry, nine and eight. So when, do you, when does Ben, he's not doing anything wrong. He's not putting up mega yardage. He's not really setting anything alight. But why isn't he in the top? Because as far as I'm concerned, like Breeze is out now. So any chance of Breeze being in there is probably gone because he's out for like a couple of games at least. He's 50. Russell Wilson now. Russell Wilson is kind of incredible yardage, incredible touchdowns, but fundamentally he's he's throwing too many picks to be considered in it now. Um and then Rogers kind of had a pretty average game against the Jags at home. Granted the conditions were pretty terrible, but for me it just leaves Mahomes. So there's my pick by the way. It just leaves Mahomes. But why isn't Big Ben in this running at like second third favorite yeah i i agree so i mean look statistically yeah he doesn't have the same statistics that rogers and mahomes have but that's not to say he has bad stats it's just he doesn't have these mind-blowing you know we're putting up 40 points a game stats the only thing that's kind of disappointing is his his ranking as qbr is 17th in the league which is really low i didn't think it'd be that low and i don't looking at the statistics, you don't really see a reason why it's that low. Um, he has 22 touchdown passes. He only has four interceptions. So uh, compare that to Mahomes, who has 25 TDs and one interception. That's not that crazy far off. You know, the yards obviously is a big difference. Mahomes averages 50 yards more a game, but they're, he's winning. You're right. He's 9-0, and and at some point you have to consider that. And especially what Sam said, you have to consider the fact that when he wasn't there last year, how much worse off were they? I mean, that's a great indication of who's the most valuable player. 
that's not to say if Mahomes went down that the Chiefs wouldn't drop dramatically. Who knows? You know, but hopefully that doesn't happen. My other one, though, that I think needs to start being talked about if they can continue to win, and that's a huge if, is Kyler Murray. I mean, because right now he's having that year where he's going to start breaking all these records, even though they're not records, they're achievements, you know, of, of being the first quarterback to, what is it, rush for a thousand yards and throw for 4,000 yards. You know, he, he has the chance to put up some crazy, crazy statistics. And you, the thing I will say about it being an MVP candidate, you watch these games. The only reason the Cardinals offense is doing anything is because of Kyler Murray. I mean, if you put in, let's take him out and put in, I don't know, Derek Carr, I don't think they're as good. That might be a, I will say, I don't, that's a slight insult to Derek Carr because he's one of those quarterbacks who's, who's probably being under, underappreciated this year for his performance. He, I'll, he I'll, is, I'll, but I still I'll, think like I'll, their I'll running you, game revolves around Murray and their passing game revolves uh, well, around Murray. Uh, At least yeah, he has I, Jacobs. Yeah, but oh, sure. But I think picking a QB that's taking a mediocre team probably to the playoffs might be. I'll give you the better example on the one you'd love. Jimmy G goes in under center for the Cardinals. They're, oh, they're winless. They're probably not winless, but they probably got like two wins. Yeah. And, but and, I mean, and you the reverse thing is, it. Do, put, they stay, do they stay? You put, you put Murray on the Niners, might be the best team in the league. Even with all these injuries, I mean, the, the thing is, though, he has to stay and keep and continue to win. And I don't—they're in such a tough division that that might not be possible. Whereas the Chiefs, what do they have? One more, two more tough games left. Yeah, a lot of tough games left. The Cardinals, not the not the Chiefs. The car, yeah. The, oh, you mean how many tough games do the Chiefs have left? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is the yeah. Cardinals have a ton of tough? Like the Cardinals could conceivably end up this year eight and eight. Yes. <laughs> it's not out of the realm, you know. No, so I mean I think going that's going back hurt him. going back to the uh going back to the the Big Ben. To me the only stat that is going to win him the MVP is undefeated. Like fundamentally 16 and 0, you're the QB. He might not be the primary reason they go undefeated, but he's going to be one of the main reasons. And at that at that moment in time, like that to me is why his odds seem a little bit high, because they're starting to edge into a territory where it's believable they go sixteen and zero. Oh, have you and seen it, their schedule left? Oh, they got yeah, the Ravens up next. Very yeah. doable. So they have the Jaguars up next. Okay. Then the Ravens, then Washington, then the Bills, the Bengals, the Colts, the Browns. So you have maybe three tough games left. Four. Three tough Ravens, games left. Ravens, Bills, Colts, Browns. Those are Ravens, four Bills, playoff Colts. teams. Oh, you forgot the Bengals. <laughs> yeah, because they looked really great against the Steelers yesterday. So <laughs> that's a matchup I'm sure they're really worried about second time around. Hey, rookie MVP. Oh, maybe we'll, not we'll anymore. Get we'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> he might be throwing that one away. Um <laughs> Yeah, I think I think fundamentally though, it's between Mahomes, Wilson, Rogers, and Murray, barring that sixteen and zero. Like Tom Brady is eighteen to one. I I don't see a scenario in which Tom Brady wins the MVP. Like I don't get how he could get there now. No, he's he done need, now. He would need everyone else to basically get injured and be done for the year. 
I that game I can't see on. Wilson now. I can't see Wilson now. After I saw the amount of picks, um, and I think it, the only people near him are what is it, Jones, Wentz, and Cousins. I, at some point, you have to say that there's just only so much one guy can do to carry a team, and it just seems to be a pressure situation. They will lose more games as well, and it's yeah. probably going to be detrimental to Wilson. Hey, Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson's eighty to one, and we can't forget that he broke a franchise record yesterday because he's become the first Ravens quarterback in history to throw interceptions in five consecutive games. So we can't, you know, you gotta, when people are breaking records, they deserve to get thrown into their conversation. Yeah. They've got a very real problem, the Ravens, haven't they? I mean, what is it? They're now level with the Browns, six and three. Yeah. To me, the issue with the Ravens and this not to only to quickly digress from the season awards thing is the only rule I kind of have going forward is that I'm not trusting teams that I don't think can come back from a losing position. And the Ravens for me are now fundamentally, in a, like if they're down 10, it's game over almost because they had to radically change the way they play. And so I don't, I can't trust them in the playoffs in any scenario. Whereas there's lots of other teams that are going to be in the playoffs. Like obviously the Chiefs trust them. Even the Saints and the Bucks, I think they've shown enough to kind of, I believe it, the Steelers, the Packers, the Seahawks, the Rams, even like there's tons of teams there where I wouldn't rule them out coming back from 10 or 14 down. But to me, the Bills, you sco- the Ravens, you go up 14-0 in the first quarter, game over. Just check out. It's it's done. I don't care if it's the Jets. It's it's over. All right. So picks are Mahomes, Mahomes, and Rogers. Rogers. Yeah. I would say Mahomes, and the, yeah, and my only dark horse would probably be. Murray, but I can't see them winning out. He, he, they almost have to win out, and that's not going to happen. And that's the same with Wilson. I think that's why Wilson won't win at this point anymore because I don't. They almost have to win out as well. I don't think they will. Okay, so the next one would be let's do off. Let's just do rookie of the year because offensive because the defensive one isn't very exciting and there's really not a standout one. Offensive rookie of the year does. Tua come into play now. I will, before you guys go, I'll preface that part by saying Tua now has more wins than Burroughs or uh, (laughs) Herbert already. (laughs) I will give, the only reason I'll give slight credence to what you're saying is that Tua's probably got a playoff run as well, or a playoff game at least, whereas the other two don't. And that could really change that because in my opinion at the moment he's probably third behind herbert and burrow i don't really know which way it's close it's really close at the moment but Tua probably has a playoff game in him you know you do well at that game suddenly so we have you're looking at about what six seven games left now if Tua goes out and wins five out of those next seven takes his team to the playoffs and puts up decent stats He's only played half the season, but he's got, I mean, that's got to almost get it for him because you can't imagine the Chargers or the Bengals getting more than another two wins, you know, like, and they're putting up good stats, but they're not, they're still having bad, like, bad's a hard word. They're still having games that are rookie caliber games. Like last, this week right now, Herbert against two, I mean, Herbert did not look very good. You know, he looked like a rookie QB. He missed a lot of targets. His stats weren't very padded. 
he had a pretty crucial interception. You know, he didn't play terribly, didn't have a bad game, but he had a rookie eh, average game. And, you know, I guess we haven't seen enough from Tua yet to see if he's still just going to have these 150-yard winning performances, you know, which is the difference, I guess. But the thing that bothers me, and I'm not saying this because I actually think he's much better than who I'm going to compare him to, you're getting into this category of everyone praising Tua for being great because he's winning. And there was another rookie young quarterback who did the same thing, who now is in minor league baseball. And oh, that's Tim such Tebow, an unfair, that's such an unfair comparison. Tell me it's not very true. And I, I'm, t- I'm telling you, I definitely think Tua is way better. But when mm. Tim Tebow started, every, all everyone would say is, it doesn't matter what the stats are. He's a winner. He's winning games. Look at this. He's taking them to the playoffs. He's winning games. But if you just sat back and looked, you would easily have said, yeah, but it's not going to stay like this. And he looks terrible. And that's the part that annoys me is people saying, look at Tua. He's a winner. That's all that matters. Eh, It does a little bit, but at the same time, you still have to be good. But he doesn't look terrible, right? I mean, his game is... He doesn't look great. I think he looked great against the Cardinals. The Cardinals, he legitimately looked really good what were his stats to be called great 71 percent completion rate 248 yards two touchdowns no interceptions 122 qb rating that's yeah. okay the yardage is a little low you know you'd like to see 300 plus but fundamentally you got a 122.3 qbr uh like you no, know he's like, sorry qb rating <laughs> he, he's got a 106.9 against the chargers you know, his completion rate is pretty high. So in a, you can't say that he's well, he's doing, he's executing what he's being asked to do. And yeah, their defense sure. is making so many plays and putting them into good positions that it's turning him into a game manager by necessity more than anything else. It's just like, don't blow this for us. You keep getting short field positions and the defense is scoring points. Like, don't be an idiot and try and... You, you almost have to give him credit for accepting that. The one thing, I don't think Tua can win it because I just think the sample size is going to be too low. I do think we have a realistic scenario where a few years from now, it might be weird. People look back and be like, isn't it weird that Tua didn't win? Like, they won't look at the whole stat. They'll forgotten that he didn't start the year and all those kind of things. And like, isn't it weird that Tua on a pretty good Dolphins team that won a playoff game didn't win, like, rookie of the year? Um, that... That that's a legitimate thing, but I mean, he, they're going to play the Bengals. So in a way, the Burrow versus Tua debate might be settled when they play each other. Yeah. To me, I think the, f- I mean, I think betting wise, the favorite is Herbert right now. And I think he kind of deserves it because he's going to, he's got a playoff contention team and he's a good reason for that. Burrow to me, the team's just too bad to, to give him, give him the award. Yeah. I'm surprised Sam has not chosen Burrow. I you look at it though, Herbert's played one less game and is still putting up similar yardage, um, way more touchdowns as well, if I remember right. He's already scored about six or seven more. I just think when you Bengals have probably had harder games, but I think this season it would go to Herbert. But what what's I mean, what's good for all three of them that we've just mentioned is that they've got really good potential franchise QBs there for a long time. And um, I, I think that's really stable for them. It's really good. 
I think it's going to be really sad for Joe Burrow. I've been down on him the whole time, but his stock is rapidly dropping. He's Andy. He's he's rapidly approaching Andy Dalton 2.0 status, and I think it's going to be even sadder for him that the buzz surrounding him is going to just be completely drowned out by Tua and Herbert in the long run because I think both of them are going to be better NFL quarterbacks, and then next year he's going to be completely forgotten when you then have the new wonder boy high draft pick quarterback coming in as well. So I Uh, think when you, well, I was pretty high on burrow until I came across this quote that he said. So here's the quote. I guess they were talking to him about Halloween. He goes, I still don't like scary movies. I don't like haunted houses or anything like that. I couldn't watch Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, or house. <laughs> I was strictly a SpongeBob. Wait, house, the TV show? Wait, 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 let me finish the quote first. I was strictly a SpongeBob, Disney Channel, Nickelodeon kind of guy. So oh, let me wow. break this down first. The SpongeBob, Disney Channel, Nickelodeon kind of guy is, is concerning in itself. But the fact that he thinks Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, and the TV show House are scary movies or TV shows. I. I actually appreciate him more for saying SpongeBob. <laughs> you would, but <laughs> House might be up there with one of the least scary TV shows I've ever watched. It's, it's, is it scary because like you don't know what's wrong with them and only House can figure it out? And if you don't get the house in time, the person might die. Or, is that why it's or, scary? Or he's so sensitive that the concept of like people being sick is just scary to him. Like he doesn't like to he doesn't like to accept that like death is a thing. He's still this like child sort of childlike mind, and he still like believes in Santa Claus and doesn't want to like when they when you ask him where his dog went that like died when he was ten years old, he's like, oh, I just went to live on a farm with my great uncle. <laughs> Again, a little bit of bane in that one. <laughs> uh, he needs some he needs some bane in him. That that's clear. I mean, what's weird about it, though, is like you go Harry Potter, okay, big multi-film franchise. (laughs) Then you go to House. (laughs) Like, has he watched House recently? Also, you need to factor in his age, right? Because like for us, we're all in an era where those Harry Potter movies and the Lord of the Rings movies came out like at prime time. For him, he's beyond that. And same even with House. Like House would have nearly been off TV when he got to an age where you might have started watching House. So it's just such a weird selection of things. Like how you combined those three is, as you said, bizarre. Not only just because they have nothing in common, but also and also nothing to do with the topic he's discussing. Yeah. And also None of them are a scary movie by any, you know, they're not labeled scary movie. It would be like me being like, oh, I hate scary movies. I've never been able to watch Casablanca. Private Ryan. The concept of World War II movies. terrifies me. Wait, wait, wait. Ryan I mean, the thing the thing so with scary. Saving Private Ryan is that there's it wouldn't you wouldn't say it's scary, but you would say at least it's there's some gory bits in it that are Yeah. A little well, bit there's some really uncomfortable bits, yeah, as well. Yeah, but again, I mean, I wouldn't label it as scary, but he probably would. And I, an... I don't, I don't know which one's worse: is Lord of the Rings 
as a scary movie worse or as house as a tv show scary worse i think lord of the rings i think there's legitimately nothing scary in lord of the rings there are very few even things approaching like jump scares maybe when there's the like spider things when they're in the cave there's an element but I mean, most of the maybe most he's of it really is scared like, of Gollum. <laughs> you you do see orcs like eating people's necks and stuff like that though so i mean but again that's not scary it's just uncomfortable i mean it was a 12 (laughs) maybe the house bit he's scared about a doctor who's so unhinged and the consequences that could result from someone like that oh maybe that's what he's scared that's that's actually deep scare that's a really good point though because if you were like on a hospital bed no idea what's wrong with you and he walks in oh no i'd be happy if you really? knew who he was, you'd be happy. Yeah, his success rate is just incredible. Now, here's what he's... You know who reminds maybe... me of House, Eddie? Who? Tim. Oh. <laughs> Did you see Tim being House? Yeah, but everyone would die. My methods are unorthodox. <laughs> he, they would be like, this guy's come in with a broken leg. And he'd be like, well, are we sure it's a broken leg? Or has he maybe... Con- have you recently been to Brazil and contracted this rare bacteria that, that's been... I've read about in this. And be like, we're going to put him onto this intensive sort of like antibacterial... Induced like, coma. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was like, ah, oh, he just died. His leg was just broken. Um, <laughs> Alex Smith does not survive house. Exactly. <laughs> the, the thing is... The thing is, like, the only way I'd respect him if he was like, you know, the terrifying thing of house is it's what a critique of the American, the modern American healthcare system. You know what I mean? We're having to, we're having to rely on these absolute wild cards to save us for the failings we have in the in, in the hospitals. Then I'd be like, all right, this guy's making a good point. He's super deep. Exactly, Maybe that's yeah. the Harry Potter part. It's the whole anti-Christian thing. That's what he's yes. really scared of. Yeah. And the Lord of the Rings, it's just small people. He's scared of hobbits. Yeah, and also, right, was born out of Tolkien's experiences in World War One. So, and he was a racist. So maybe that's maybe that's why that terrifies him as well. Okay, well, I'm back on so board. So deep, so deep. I think Burroughs got a point here. <laughs> yeah, it turns out he's one of the deepest thinkers in the league. Do you I'd think to... is there a chance he meant House on Haunted Hill or something? No. no <laughs> Why would they cut it off? <laughs> Maybe his mind, you know, he kind of just cut himself off a little bit because he started thinking about SpongeBob. <laughs> yeah, he just started singing. Oh, he's like you. He's just obsessed with pineapples and stuff. He just started going through the, the theme song. Who flicks Hi. a pineapple onto my meat. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's our theme of soup juice. Yeah, suit juice is really going to take off now. Put some pineapple onto my meat. All right, what other rewards were there? So we, did we all go Herbert then? No. Interesting. I would go Herbert for I'm now, but I, I want to see the end of the... Yeah, I'm going Herbert, I guess, to make our yeah, pick. I'll, I'll go Herbert as well. Defensive player of the year right now, I'm going Miles Garrett. Yeah, I think it's a two-way race between Garrett and Donald. And what's crazy is you put them side by side, their statistics are super similar. So Garrett has nine and a half sacks. Donald has nine. Garrett has 31 tackles. Donald has 26. They both have seven tackles for a loss. Um, They both have, or Garrett has four forced fumbles. Donald has three. 
Uh, Garrett has two fumble recovered. Donald has one. So the only difference there is it's obviously more difficult as an interior defensive lineman to get as many sacks as he's getting. And he obviously kind of gets some discredit because he wins almost every year. So having a year like this, people think is not that great. Where as a, as a defensive tackle, that's a really, really great year. I mean, there's no defensive tackles even near that. My only criticism is it doesn't look very good on the NFL to give Miles Garrett defensive player of the year one year after he was suspended for the year for brutally, brutally hitting someone on the head with a helmet. Yeah, or he, or it's a great comeback story, right? Now there's the other element but to it. But it's not here. because you already saw him on the sidelines this year acting like an asshole. I just assume all NFL players are assholes, either assholes or idiots, as we find out with Joe Burrow. So I don't, I can't read too much. Like if fundamentally, if we're going to, if we're going to exclude people from the d- discussion for awards because they've done something awful, then the NFL award debate would be about three players. It'd be like, oh, so we've had to give uh, like MVP to the Cowboys third string quarterback just because it turns out he's the only one who hasn't beaten a woman within the last 12 months. And yeah, I'd, I'd probably just echo what you guys said. But I mean, what about like TJ Watt? I mean, I think, I think I posted up, saw that he's, what is it, like seven sacks? Um, I think it was like 22 QB hits or something like that. I mean, he gets through. He's good. And he's 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 on a team that's, I mean, less of an imposing person like Donald, but could be a sneak in for it. In a way, you have the same argument with TJ Watt that you have for Big Ben and that TJ Watt is the central figure of a very good defense that might go 16-0, and 0, in which case doesn't he deserve the award more than Miles Garrett and Donald going on teams that, okay, maybe both will make the playoffs, but doing so 10 and six on kind of mediocre defenses, you know, like there you could convince me that even his individual statistic performance shouldn't be the only thing that you're weighing up. But I would, I would think it's fundamentally between Donald and, and Garrett. Yeah. And there's no standout linebacker having a crazy statistical year. Actually, I just saw Blake Martinez on the Giants is leading the league in tackles, which is pretty crazy. I mean, I, I know you're going to accuse me of being Niners biased, but if I had to give it to a linebacker, I would give it to Fred Warner, who's now getting he, – he's been underappreciated for his entire career so far, and now he's swinging into that mode where it's everyone's talking about how underappreciated he is, which is going to make him over not overrated, but too talked about as a player. Like he's right on that tipping point now. Um, and I think it's basically because the Niners are now bad that when you now talk about Niners games, you've got to look for the positive and the positive is Fred Warner. So like, this is my slight issue with him, but I think he's clearly, he's having a great season and he's probably the best linebacker in the league. So did you have to give a Niners nation shout out? Just had to make sure you I had did. one. Well, otherwise they might abandon us. Niners nation. We didn't even talk about their game. So all right, so I have one more that I've kind of created myself. It's the oh shit play of the year. Okay, I'll give you the honorable mentions that didn't make the top three. So one being the Cowboys onside kick versus the Falcons when the Falcons literally just watched it roll until the Cowboys jumped on it. 
Good one. Honorable, honorable mention number two was Derrick Henry's stiff arm on Josh Norman, where he literally threw him five yards across the field. Honorable mention number three is when the Chargers celebrated their last second touchdown, only to have it go to a booth review and have it overturned. So those are the honorable mentions, oh shit, player of the year. The current runnings that I thought of for the top three would be the Hale Murray, the DK Metcalf rundown on Buda Baker, where he went full out and just ran him down, or Daniel Jones falling with 10 yards to go on an 85-yard touchdown run. Uh, that's a good one. The iconic player of the year is almost certainly going to be the, the Hale Murray. Is it, though? Uh, because the Daniel Jones people have been you know, still making fun of and still talking about. But the thing is, if they make the playoffs, that play becomes less amusing, right? Like, it's not butt fumble level. I do agree with you. Like, if I think back on that year, the butt fumble is the standout play of that year. So, like, the humorous play is more likely to be remembered in some ways than the good one. I'd almost kind of give it. So I think I think the Hale Murray is the winner. If I actually had to choose from the the even your, including your honorable mentions, I'd actually pick the Derrick Henry stiff arm because I think that's kind of the craziest of them. Like I think people forget how hard it would be to to push <laughs> a full grown man the distance that he did. Like I think sometimes that kind of gets lost in the equation, right? Like we see them and we think they're crazy. But you don't really think like Josh Norman's not some tiny guy and he's not a terrible player either. So the idea of just literally dismissing him like a child is crazy. Like going back to when um, Marshawn Lynch did it on that touchdown run against the Saints. Like it's the same crazy idea. Forever. Like just batting someone away like there's some like ragdoll is just crazy. Does it make it better because it was Josh Norman as well? Sort of because he's, he's a loser. A loser or an asshole? both I, okay now one one thought that did cross my mind this weekend when i was watching the rams seahawks game how much is dk metcalf's like image helped by the blacked out visor <laughs> like it, it plays into this idea that he's this almost kind of he's robot. He, he's expressionless yeah. he kind of just is this like perfect human being in form just kind of walking around the field doing things. You like never see him talk. You never see anything really from him. And then he's just got the blacked out visor. So he's kind of like Terminator mode when he's on the field. And like, I was it's thinking true. about it, like it, it adds to the intimidation factor. It's yeah. true. I, I will say though, that game was the first time I've ever seen him be visible, visibly frustrated on the field. There was one or two times where he kind of was pretty adamant that he was open and, and Wilson wasn't throwing to him. And I've, you know, I've never seen that from him before. I wasn't anywhere near an Odell Beckham type level, but you know, he did show some human emotion, which is crazy from a robot. They've advanced so much <laughs> in the past five years that they can build that in. He needs the coffee test. <laughs> well, speaking of which, they, I can't watch a game now without them talking about his own branded coffee. Who's? DK Metcalf. What is it? Wait, Wait is this, this all plays into it. He's found a way to beat the system of how to test if they're a robot or not by developing his own coffee. <laughs> well, because supposedly the idea came about, it's some Georgia uh, coffee company, I think. And basically 
it, yet last year at one moment, uh, one of the announcers, I can't remember, what, instead of calling him DK Metcalf, called him Decaf Metcalf. And so then they make they make a coffee called decaf Metcalf. And then I think they have full calf Metcalf as well now. But I'm gonna have to get me some full calf. Yeah, I knew calf. I knew the second I mentioned it that hundred percent you were gonna be ordering some. It'll be at my house next week. <laughs> you can give us that can be uh, episode one of soup juice. You can give us a review okay. of uh, DK Metcalf's coffee. All right. Well, with that. I think we should sign off and start having some soup. It is winter. True. Winter is coming. Get your soup ready. <laughs> All right. See ya. Talk to you later.